And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. And we have got a good one for you today, and I do mean we in a very real and literal sense, as I am not alone. I am joined by a guest. You know him as the host of Bots, Bugs, and Babes B-Movie Podcast. You also know him as one of the co-hosts of Get Back to the Wrestling in the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. I know him as my brother, Jason Giaconetti. How you doing, Jay? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, well, I could uh, I could think of no one else uh, to uh, to watch this uh, this next feature uh, because uh, we we did watch this one a couple of times when we were kids. Not nearly as much. This one was not on nearly as much as some others. But we are uh, are heading back to the Showa era for Godzilla. So set your way back machine to 1971 because we are going to take a look at Godzilla versus Hedra, aka of course here in the West, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, uh, one of the most infamous. And uh, polarizing, let's just say that, polarizing of uh, films in the entire Godzilla series, wouldn't you say? I agree, yeah. it's uh, It definitely is a movie that uh, is, uh, people people who don't even know anything about the movie or what anything looks like have heard this, the title, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, um, and have formed opinions without ever seeing the movie sometimes, so... <laughs> As people are wanting to do sometimes. So. They, they will do that on occasion. And uh, and this film, everybody's got an opinion on this film, and we will we will talk about it a bit um, as we go through it. But uh, before we get started, uh, we do have a little bit of news to cover. I know you have a piece of news that, that you found that you sent to uh, you sent to me. But then uh, you were going to be on the show, and you said, "You know what? Why don't we Why don't we just talk about this live?" So, what what was the uh, what was the news that that you wanted to share with all the Daikaiju fans out there? Yeah. So, um, at some point, I want to say, was it February or so, when uh, the Gamera box set went up, the Gamera um, Ultimate Collection went up for pre order. I think it was like around February, March, January, beginning of twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, uh, and that's Mill Creek, I think, right? No, it's, um, excuse me, not Mill Creek. Who's no, that's Arrow. Arrow, yeah, Arrow. Excuse me, Arrow. So Arrow, for those who don't know what that is real quick, they are, um, they're usually a European company, and they kind of produce basically like Criterions, um, but just, they're almost always horror. They don't, they don't only do horror movies, but they definitely specialize in niche kind of movies, a lot of horror movies. In fact, some of the best releases I have are like the Arrow release of Chud, the Arrow release of, um, I'm trying to think of a couple other top of my head. I mean, there was a number of different things that they've released that are basically criterion level, collect, uh, you know, level kind of releases, except they're done by Arrow, so they're horror movies. Um, and would, they do, would, it be, you know, would it be fair to say that Arrow is known to specialize in genre film rather genre. than, yeah. Yeah, not, not necessarily horror, but genre films, yeah. Right. What I'm saying is, like, I've always noticed them for their horror output. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're um, 
they released, uh, I think it was the stuff. I think they had like, tried, that's how I started kind of recognizing like, oh, because I always knew of them as a European company. And it's like, oh, it's PAL. I can't get it here. But they started making all region discs um, designed for being here, uh, you know, for U U.S. distribution. And that's who's putting out the Gamera set. And the Gamera set is immense. It looks awesome. And as soon as we saw it, I think you and I both pre-ordered that thing immediately. Yes. Um, and if you have not pre-ordered it and you're hearing this relatively close to the drop date, you need to get online and pre-order it. Um, my suggestion would be, I don't know if you can order through the Arrow site itself. Amazon, as of our recording uh, right now, has them still available uh, and you could actually still pre-order it. Amazon sent me a note today saying they're expecting delivery by the 20th of August. It's an uh, August 18th release. That seems to be pretty normal for them for uh, bigger releases, uh, especially during this time we're living in right now. And, the, and you say, okay, Jay, but why would I, I can just wait on it? So DVD News, or one of the ones that I follow on Facebook, came and said, yeah, it appears that Gamera, the, uh, the, the box set of Gamera will be, um, is close to sold out. And so I went and did some more digging because I'm like, okay, they could be wrong. Everywhere I'm looking, it appears that Arrow is saying, yes, we're only producing, and they didn't give a number, we're producing these in limited numbers. We cannot mass produce these to that level because it's not just a single disc. I mean, it's a lot of discs right. um, kind of thing. And they are saying that we, we most likely will be sold out before release. So some of you might remember when I sent Luke a note about the uh, GAPA uh, DVD uh, that went to, excuse me, Blu-ray, excuse me, that went from, oh, that's readily available to, okay, it's now sold out and out of print. Um, and the problem is it appears that the Gamera set, as of right now, unless there's enough, you know, call for it, will not be, there won't be a second run of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. That, and that's a tough position to be in because this, it's it's very funny because the Criterion Godzilla collection, the Showa Godzilla collection, was both extremely popular and in certain circles extremely controversial for decisions for what was included, what was not included, what versions of things were included, and what have you. Whereas this Gamera collection seems to take the, uh, throw everything possible in there to the point that what they're saying what, from interactions I've had with uh, members of the Arrow uh, publicity team on social media, they're including the AIP languages. They're including the Sandy Frank language tracks. They're including any special, any like supplementary material or anything they can find. They've reprinted the entire Dark Horse Gamera comic book series. Mm -hmm. And it's being included, I think, as a, as a hardcover book or, or at least a softcover book, but it's included in the set. So this is... In Arrow's uh, estimation, apparently, to be the final word on the Gamera series, because this is uh, also covers the Showa, Heisei, and Millennium uh, eras, so it covers the literally the entire run. And the big selling point I know for a lot of folks is the 4K transfers of the three Heisei Gamera films, which are uh, rightfully held in extremely high regard by Daikaiju fans. So it would be a shame to sit on this thinking. Um, oh, well, I, I can pick it up and it'll, it'll, it'll drop in price below the pre-order price. I know we saw that again with the Criterion set where because of the way Criterion was handling their big sales, a lot of people were buying that Godzilla set. It was cheaper to wait for it to be released and then buy it uh, on sale from Criterion. So you had people that were, were buying the set just to resell it to then get that money and then turn around and buy it again from Criterion cheaper and some other 
uh, you know, chicanery. I don't think you're going to have any opportunity to do that. I think in this case, you know, to me, I'd rather be safe than sorry. If I was a Gamera fan and I wanted this set in my collection, I would go ahead and pre-order it. And if things shake out that it is available afterwards, okay, you know what? At least you got your copy. That, that's, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to be, uh, I don't mean to, to sound mercantile, but you know, you, you got to look out for, uh, uh, you got, if, if you really want it, you got to pay the money to get it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the thing is, some people might say, well, we already have all the cameras. I'm looking right here, sitting next to me on my shelf that has all the Godzilla movies. Um, not in, I mean, but I also have the Criterions here as well. Every Godzilla Blu-ray that's ever been, that's been released, I have. The right. King Kong, Kong Skull Island, all that stuff. And they are all the Gamera movies. All of them. They're all sitting here. But I definitely, as soon as I saw this, knew I needed to pre-order because what's there is fine. And again, if that's all we ever had, I'd be happy because I have it. But I knew this was going to be the complete, like, it's, okay. I And I don't want to get us off track here. So mm-hmm. we talked about this uh, the other day. Um, the Friday the 13th box set came out. It was awesome. All the movies finally all together on Blu-ray. Oh, my God, everyone crazy they bought it, right? right? Now there's a Friday the 13th Ultimate Edition. Literally, it's insane. Everything's getting its own releases. It's nuts. That was, to me, is worth the 130 bucks or whatever it's going to be to get because you're going to get, I think it's 17 disc or whatever the heck it's going to turn out to be by the time it's all said and done or 15 discs, whatever. The books, the artwork, the this, the that. It's just a complete thing. There's nothing more they're going to be able to find because it's all there. That's, That's what right. this gamer set sounded like. And I was like, I got to get this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I know there's that kind of pull. Like, well, I have them all on DVD. Do I need them on Blu-ray? And I've been, uh, I'm a big, you know, for those people who don't, have never heard me on my show or dad and I talk um, when we were on Bots, Bugs, and Babes, very much into physical media, very much believer of like it, in my hand is a lot better than like digital that I may not be able to access later. I want a copy of it. I'll always be able to find a Blu-ray player or a DVD player or something. I can make something be able to play it. And as I have the physical media, I'm a big physical media guy. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that, yeah, did I, you know, did I spend the money twice? But these cameras were not expensive. I mean, remember these sets, you know, you got what, uh, uh, there was a, there was the, the two, the, the, the two, uh, they four movies per, I think, or whatever yes. they were. Yes. And then you had the, the, the new ones all together. They were never super expensive anyway. So it wasn't yeah. like I spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on this to then rebuy it at a, at a hundred and something dollars. But I, I just wanted to make sure fans knew, um, I know. Uh, I sometimes when, when I contribute here and I send notes and a lot of times it's like, Hey, new toys coming. Hey, new yeah. this coming. because that, to be honest, I get, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, hooked into different things that maybe people are, I mean, not everyone reads room work magazine. Not everyone reads horror hound. Not everyone is maybe in the, the, the same worlds that we're in. You know what I'm saying? Like in the modeling community. Um, I mean, I knew about the AFM that featured all the kit, the, the Kaiju kits months before anyone else would ever have seen the issue because I was reading the issue and I said, Godzilla kit's coming. I'm like, oh man, I better tell Luke. Mm-hmm. Why? Because this is something that maybe you've never built a model. Maybe you've never done that stuff. But that issue, if you if you didn't get it and you can still order it from Amazing Figure Modeler, it's outstanding. It's amazing yeah. what they're talking about on there. And I think, couldn't you order it off of a uh, comic book? Um, it was in it was in previews. previews uh, Amazing yeah. Figure Modeler is in Previews magazine, so it has a previews code. So if you have either a local comic shop that ordered, well, I mean, all all local comic shops order through previews, but as long as your local shop, you can give them a previews code, they should be able to order it. Or if you get your comics mail order like I do, uh, mm-hmm. that issue of AFM, 
I believe is sitting in my box at DCBS, my mail order uh, comics outfit, waiting for my next shipment. So I will have that probably by the time uh, everyone's listening to this episode, I, you, you, I'll be able to be perusing that that issue. But but yeah, no, I mean, and obviously your stuff's appreciated. Even though, like I said, we talk pretty much every day, we still run in different circles and have different things. So every now and again, I'll hit you up with something that you've got no idea about or because it was broke on the Daikaiju news or whatever, or you'll hit me with something because it's from a, a figure group or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. And for, for those, you know, just to test, not to be, uh, you know, when and Luke and I are obviously, we, we, there are times we'll talk about things and, and it'll be like, you know, toy related and we'll be looking for the same kind of things, uh, you know, kind of thing, whether it be the, 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 um, the new Playmate, uh, uh King, King Kong or Godzilla versus King Kong toys, or even the releases or whatever kind of thing. Like, you know, we do like some of the same things. It does have a crossover there. So we are sometimes looking for the same things, but by the same token, I'm always looking, even if I already know, like, hey, I don't need this Ghidra. I don't need this Godzilla, but like, I'll call you and say, hey, they have this. Do you right. need it? Why? Because that's the kind of stuff you know that we, we cross over with. And to be honest, is the, and um, uh, my daughter loves her Godzilla. She loves her Gamera. She loves that stuff. It's it's an easy sell for me to be able to get well all the Gamera movies together and every v- yeah. version of them and everything. Yeah. I don't know. My daughter's the worst. She's she's usually pretty good at like, Dad. I don't think we need this. She's like Dad. I think we need this. You know, kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> good. You know, kind of thing. So yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, a good good to know. Like you said, go so go check that out if you're interested. Uh, please pre-order that that set and, and uh, don't don't miss out on that. Uh, the other bit of news, it's pretty well known at this point, but just want to put it out there since, uh, you know, I, I did kind of predict this when it was happened the first time. Godzilla vs. Kong delayed yet again. Uh, it was uh, originally supposed to be out a couple of months ago as we're recording this. That obviously didn't happen. It was pushed to uh, right after Thanksgiving of 2020 and now has been pushed again. Right now, the current date as of this recording is May 21st, 2021. So five twenty one twenty one, if you uh, or twenty one five twenty one, if you uh, go that route, if you're in Europe. But um, uh, there, I, so, but again, I mean, you know, at this point, I'm 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 willing to wait. I had always I said before that I thought that less than a year between King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong seemed really tight. If they had to end up doing any type of pickups, and on these big budget movies, they're always pickups and reshoots. Now, I mean, it's not. Now you say, oh, they're doing reshoots. It doesn't mean that there's problems with the film. It means that we had to do pickups and stuff like that. That's so common on these big budget movies now that I just thought it was tight. And then I was actually, I really liked the Thanksgiving date because I thought, oh, you know, King Kong Thanksgiving, that always made sense to me being from New York, right? You know, those movies, uh, that was always a, a connection. And mm-hmm. But that's that's not going to happen. But, uh, but now uh, May 21st puts it in the, early portions of what we call the summer season, assuming that we get back to a normal movie uh, release schedule sometime in the near future. Uh, unlike what we're in now where uh, movies, uh, you know, just debut at the house. So yeah. uh, the, well, the upshot of this, go on, Jeff. Just so real quick, they, uh, uh, universal um, just uh, was in talks with AMC and all this stuff. And there's a lot of, again, millionaires fighting with other millionaires. It's amazing how that always happens. It's like, it's like any sport ever. Yeah. Um, but like the thing is, is that when you look at, um, you know, they're talking about having movies in the theaters for a limited run and then debuting them on VOD either the same day or a week later, with then a quick turnaround to DVD and, and Blu-ray. Um, 
or a quicker, I should say, turnaround. I again, I don't know how things are going to go. I mean, I wish if, if I knew the future, guys, I'd be rich and wear a cape. But like, um, it would be you know, and I, I know, and he would too. He would wear the cape. There's no, I have no question about that. Um, the idea is that like, if that's what eventually things become, where literally movie theaters never come back the way they were, and going to the movie was much like what Dad used to talk about, where it was an event and you ordered tickets in advance and you went to a screening at this time, like you were going to a play. Um, that, you know, then movies could become, you know, seemingly to be, you know, I don't know, uh, more of an event again. Um, I just don't know about that. It just seems weird in a time when we're now getting movies uh, on VOD very quickly. And the problem is, and, and we talked about this before, is um, it's one thing if the movie's on uh, VOD um, and you're like, OK, great, it's a movie I wanted. But if you're paying $20 to rent a movie. And you're thinking like, well, go to the movies cost. And I get that. It's just, it's not the same experience as going to the movie and seeing it on the big screen and in certain, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. I, but by the same token though, I would, I would hate to see uh, it pushed again and have them say, okay, well, we're not sure we're going to push it to the fall and then to get closer. Okay. Things aren't better. And if they're not better by that, I mean, I think we're in a lot more worse shape than ever. Yeah. Right. them say we're going to push it to 2022 yeah. um i just i just think the more you push it maybe it just kind of gets people i don't know it, two things could happen you could build it up to be greater than you could ever be in your mind or you kind of get disappointed because you're like oh, i'm waiting for it to kind of get i don't want people i don't want people to ever give up on it you know what i'm saying yeah right the it's the hard. upshot of, of all of this is that because we are getting into where the the street dates were supposed to be for yes. the toys and stuff. The toys are starting to show up. And, yes. and so uh, th th these images are out there, the first wave, and uh, they're, they're starting to show up uh, a little bit in, in Walmarts and stuff. Uh, I think it'll be more over the next month. I've, I did see them, uh, a reset planogram that had them listed uh, late, recently at a, at a local Walmart. The only thing I will say about this first wave, it's got a giant skull crawler in it, like the end of yes. Skull Island. So that's cool. You know, because that we didn't get a giant skull crawler in the Skull Island toy. We got a small skull crawler, but we didn't get one the size of the big Kong. So, so that'll be cool to get a, a skull crawler that you can pose with your Godzilla and Kong uh, toys. And uh, and we're supposed to be getting more stuff from Playmate. So we'll we'll see what that what that really uh, ends up being. I know a lot of people were disappointed with their um, their previous uh, releases, the ones that are trying really really hard to look like the Bandai. Uh, open box vinyls i mean really trying to look like the bandai ones but the quality was not really there I, i've 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 got them upstairs i haven't opened any of them yet we may uh, may do that as a as a special at some point but uh but in any event it's uh you know always good to have godzilla toys even if they are just toys for children and not toys for just man children like like you know those of us <laughs> that do podcasts about this sort of thing but anyway i can tell you one monster who will likely not appear in Godzilla versus Kong, and that's Hedra. Uh, so we, I think, I think, uh, I think we've just about covered. It. If you have any news or, or thoughts you want to share, go ahead and email them in or Destruction Directive at yahoo.com. We'll we'll get to them on the show. Uh, but I do think it is time to uh, to talk about our feature film today, which is Godzilla versus Hedra. As I said, this was released in uh, 1971 in Japan on July 24th. 
was released the next year, the following July, actually, 1972, as Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster by American International Pictures in the United States. Uh, of note, it was, uh, in some markets, was on a double feature with Frogs. Oh, okay. I actually have it uh, that it also was double featured with The Thing with Two Heads. Yes, both of those. I, I The Frogs make is funnier to me just because of the ecological connection. Yes. Yeah. And, you, and, and if you got, and if you folks have listened to our episode of uh, Frogs, you know how much we we enjoyed Frogs. That was a great episode with with Jay and uh, Doctor Bill was with us as well on that yes. episode. Oh my gosh, that was the one that Doctor Bill forgot we were recording. Yes. <laughs> oh, fun times. Good yeah. times, great memories. Yeah. The, th- the three hours of outtakes, uh, the or, or the off air whatever kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, it was an hour and a half podcast. Took five hours to record. Bill, <laughs> forgetting <laughs> here we It's okay. Oh, yeah, no, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, so, our film was directed by and co-written by Yoshimitsu Bano, who uh, a lot of modern fans may know as the guy that ended up getting the legendary Godzilla produced, uh, and gets a producer credit on Godzilla 2014. Uh, so Bano actually was something of a darling at uh, at Toho at this point. He he had done a lot of uh, he he was a um, he graduated from Tokyo University and then worked underneath a lot of the other directors at Toho. He didn't do uh, any uh, Daikaiju films, but he did work on on other types of films, and he actually worked with Akira Kurosawa on uh, on a series of films including the hidden fortress from 1958 and he was an assistant director all through the 70s uh, but he made his own directorial debut with a feature called japanese nature and dream which i don't think has ever been released in the west uh, and this was a much like we see here uh very avant-garde and used some really crazy imagery and and did feature um a lot of uh striking images of disasters. And this uh, actually was a big hit at uh, Expo 70, which was uh, in Osaka uh, that, that in 1970. And that was how he earned this job, uh, follow, you know, coming in after uh, Isher Honda to do a Godzilla film. So the other story goes that uh, Bano, as I said, wrote this story. Bano was a, a still was, I mean, he, he passed away uh, a few years back, uh, that he was a true believer in ecology, in the green, the early stages of the green movement. And we've talked about this uh, before. Uh, he would go on to, after this film, he would also write Prophecies of Nostradamus, which takes the ideas of this film and just cranks them all the way up to 11 and tears a knob off. But the same <laughs> idea, he was a true, a true believer in, in these, uh, in, in the, you know, the, the, what I said, what would be called, called, would become called the green movement. Don't think it really had that, that name here in the, in the seventies. So, um, so he, he's credited as the director and the uh, co-writer, along with uh, Karu uh, Mabuchi is the other writer. Uh, the music is by Richiro Manabe. The Manabe, this is his first time doing a, uh, a Godzilla score. He would also go on to score Godzilla versus Megalon, which is not surprising because the uh, soundtracks are very similar in a lot of ways to those two films. Also, uh, right around the same time, he would do all three films of the Bloodthirsty trilogy, the vampire films, Vampire yeah. Doll, Lake of Dracula, and Evil of Dracula. Uh, very, very different from a, a Fukube score uh, that Manabe uh, produces for us here. Uh, there is the song Return the Sun, which uh, was uh, 
Uh, lyrics by Yoshimitsu Banu, arranged by Hiroshi Takada, then performed by uh, Mari Keiko. The Honey Nights and Moondrops with the uh, the band that played that. Uh, this song, of course, famously dubbed to Save the Earth in the uh, U.S. dub, but uh, Return the Sun is a same, same melody, different lyrics, obviously, as these things go. Uh, the special effects by uh, Toriyoshi Nakano. And not surprising, this is Nakano's, uh, this is getting into his wheelhouse right here when he was the, the head guy uh, with Subaraya's health uh, obviously declining quite a bit uh, during the production of the previous film. And our producer, of course, Tomoyuki Tanaka. Now, of course, the story goes that Tanaka was also uh, not in the best of health during the production of this film. And the story that Teriyoshi uh, Nakano tells is that he overheard Tanaka when he finally saw a very close to finished version of this film, basically dressing down Bano saying that he ruined Godzilla. Uh, and so Bano was supposedly banned from ever directing another film for Toho after this film, because it was so different from what had been established in the Godzilla series under uh, Honda and uh, Sunichi Sekizawa in the in the 1960s. And, and that played out. Bano did not work on another Godzilla film until his uh, personal project, uh, Godzilla 3D to the Max, which was a IMAX short film, which was going to feature a new version of Hedra, that through the, the wonders of developmental hell is what eventually became the legendary Godzilla in 2014. So that is why Bano gets the producer's credit because he was the producer of the, of that, the original concept that eventually morphed into a feature and did not feature Deathla, the updated version of Hedra, but... But that is the way that Hollywood works sometimes, and that's the way that Japanese film works sometimes, too. So, um, But Wait, enough of that. Stories. What's that? You just, throw, just throw in something real quick here. Yeah. Um, you talk about um, how uh, Tanaka hates, reportedly hated Godzilla vs. Hedra, and then he fired and banned Bano from doing it. The Bano had had talked about there being you know, the idea of a sequel, direct sequel yes. to this. Um and it's kind of funny, and we'll talk about it, obviously when we get to the end here, we can talk about the, the, the first sequel, is how things started changing, like it's going from this, then to this, then to this, and it's like, and what was scrapped, and what could have been, and then, oh, scrap that, do this instead, and then to eventually get. It's just kind of funny. So I just want to, and I know some people don't, some people don't love 70s Godzilla, you know, yeah. kind of thing, the best way to say it. Um, 70s Godzilla, when you're a little kid, and you're and you don't have these movies on VHS necessarily, and you're just watching them on like Channel Five every once every, once a month. They'll show a Godzilla movie. A lot of times, you saw the '70s Godzilla movies, mm-hmm. and that's what you kind of. I mean, you saw the original, and you might have seen like you know, um, like we had like Rodan and like uh, uh, Ghidra the Three Headed Monster, and you know, uh, you know things like that. But like right. you saw these, and you're like, well, maybe that's what Godzilla really is. Like you didn't know any better, right. you know, kind of thing. So yeah. Um, these, the, the seventies Godzilla movies are a, uni- uh, an eclectic collection. They are. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they are. They, they really, they really are. It's, it's odd when you look at most of the, you know, the sixties kind of come in chunks, right? You've got like the golden age ones and then you've got the movie set on tropical islands, but then the seventies ones, it's like each one. Even the two Mechagodzilla films are like radically different from each other in a lot of ways, and it it really it's 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 interesting from a, a critical standpoint to look at them for that very reason because they are even though they're part of a series and they have elements that carry over, 
they're really kind of all their own animal in an own in their own way, which is which is one of the things I enjoy so much about this is sitting down critically. So, yeah. Um, now, before we went on the air, I was talking to Jay that it's hard to get a synopsis for this movie. And when I tried to write a synopsis, I, re- I began to understand why it is tough to get a synopsis. So uh, the best synopsis I have comes from the oft-referenced on this podcast book, uh, Critical History of Filmography of Toho's Godzilla Series by David Callett uh, from uh, McFarland Press, which is... Uh, Highly recommended. I actually have the, uh, there is a second edition of this that has all the Millennium films in it as well. So highly recommended uh, book. But we will be uh, using uh, Callet's uh, synopsis and we'll be jumping in as we go. So let's get started. A fisherman discovers a strange tadpole in Suruga Bay, although tadpoles do not live in salt water. He brings it to marine biologist Dr. Yano, whose son Ken who is a big fan of Godzilla, names the mysterious creature Hedra. When a sea monster resembling a giant Hedra tadpole starts sinking ships in the bay, Dr. Yano scuba dives to explore. While he swims around a junkyard of human garbage, a Hedra monster attacks Ken on the shore. Ken tries to defend himself with a knife, but the blade slides right through the muddy body of the thing without effect. The monster returns to the water and attacks Dr. Yano. So let's talk about the the beginning of the movie here. The opening credits, you know, um, so more, okay, so you know, and and the listeners may or may not know this, but you know, I'm a big fan of James Bond and James Bond movies. This this is like Maurice Binder did a Godzilla movie opening credits. Yes, it's weird because it's a James Bond opening, yeah. Like the way everything kind of so for those of you who don't understand what we're talking about, maybe you've never seen a lot of James Bond movies. If you go back and look at the opening of James Bond movies, uh, I don't mean like the opening whatever happens before the pre-credit scene, you know, kind of thing. Uh, the actual where they, where they show you the titles and stuff, the way things move together, the way there's the imagery, the in and the outs, the way the words come on the screen, it just screams like, "Hey, we saw James Bond." Yeah. So it's yeah the the Godzilla in the in the eye, you know, like like Jason Voorhees there when they did the Nightmare on Elm Street one where they had the uh, you know the like the, oh, you know the telescope eye, yeah. What that's, I said, uh, you said you said Nightmare. Oh uh, man, that's, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's Friday. Fans. That's Friday six, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Where it's like it looks like uh, the James Bond opening, you know, yeah. kind of. That would have been something. Godzilla turns and, and atomic breaths right at the screen. That'd have been something. Yeah. Um, I mean, a little on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, but even even the use of a pop song because uh, "Give Back the Sun" is is playing the entire or "Return the Sun" is is playing the entire time through it, and we see her singing and that's yeah. it. There's lights moving in different directions and all that. So I definitely got a Bondian, like that word Bondian. I got the the Bondian feel out of this, which is which is because we're right in the middle of the Bond series, 1971, uh, that was uh, Diamonds Are Forever, right? So, uh, so we are we're getting into the, um, uh, you know, the, the really kind of uh, really flashy formulaic style of the the Bond films at the, the tail end of the uh, right before we get into Roger Moore the, in in a couple of years. But that that just struck me. Um, from there, I I do like that we, but also in that we get the all the imagery of the pollution, the, the sludge covering the the bay. And all that, and that's uh, that's pretty upsetting, you know. I'm not a, uh, I don't consider myself a, a radical green by by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you know, we we talked about this a little bit on the Godzilla's Revenge episode that you know, got uh, Japan as a whole 
was at a huge, huge pace in industrialization after the war. And that uh, and the whole world was, you know, really starting to come to grips with modernism and industrialization uh, and what that was doing, the type of pollutants that was creating. And in Japan, with a country that is still, uh, you know, so much of its economy was dependent on fishing and on the water, the idea of all the pollutants in the water obviously was a, was a big deal. And I always have to wonder, I've never been able to find out, was this had to be effects, right? This, this couldn't have been something they went out and shot. I'd hope not. Yeah. yeah it's just saying, I'd hope it's effects. It's, if it's could, not, it's harsh, you know? Yeah. I can tell you that uh, when I watched this movie a couple of months back with my two sons and they were both pretty creeped out by the mannequin stuck in the, yes. in the sludge. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty gross too. It, but, and it's, and it's jarring because the first thing you're like, what is that a person? Yeah. You know, so. And the clock, oh. the clock yes. as well, which, uh, that to me is, is like a, that to me is a, a, a pre-reference because the, the clock imagery is in prophecies of Nostradamus. So it's like, Oh clock time's running out. We see what you're doing there. Bano. We got you. The, the one thing I want to mention, because we, I, we watched, uh, I mean, I, and you, I mean, we, you know, not together, yeah. but we watched, them, <laughs> uh, both watched the new release that came from the criterion. Um, and it, again, it has the Japanese subtitles, right? So mm-hmm. as she's singing, the words are in Japanese and on the screen. Until the names pop up, and then the mm-hmm. names are translated on the screen. So there's parts of the song that aren't translated for you. So <laughs> I was like, "Wait, what's going on? I missed something." But like, yeah. you kind of you can figure it out, folks. It's not like yeah, you, you can't figure out. You know. Yeah, you you at least we you do at least get the song later. But I agree, they need they needed to do it like Shin Godzilla, where they've got subtitles going like up, down, sideways, all over the screen in, in that movie, where you've got you know scenes where somebody's got a title, and then the room has a title, and then that person is talking. And so yes. you've got the subtitles on subtitles on subtitles, but that's, that, that's, that's a, that's a conscious decision in that movie to, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a bit satirical, but, uh, this, I mean, this movie's a bit satirical too. So I guess that connection works. So, um, okay. You yes. mentioned Shin Godzilla. Let me just say this here. When mm-hmm. I, when I watched this yesterday, uh, and I, I sent you a note, I said, wow, I forgot how crazy this movie is. Yeah. And literally this made me think of Shin Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think we can get more into that or whatever kind of thing later. But literally, when I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself going, this reminds me so much of Shin Godzilla, not because the story is the same, but because it's such a different Godzilla movie. Right. You know, kind of thing it has a message and a story and whatever. Like, I, I get other ones do, too. But it's so different than just your standard, you know. You know, King Kong versus Godzilla, or you right. know, uh, or whatever kind of thing. It's just so different. It stands out to me as being very different, and right. it's just so funny that you think about um, the reaction Shin Godzilla got so many years later, and the reaction this got. You mm-hmm. know, you know, forty something years or earlier. You know, what I'm saying so. Right. Yeah. It. It. You're. You're right because. Uh. You know, like like I was saying, Sekizawa, with his scripts, put such a stamp on that those films from the '60s. You know, mm-hmm. about uh, the way that the monsters behaved, the way that the monsters were used as weapons by various outfits, you know, whether they were alien invaders or communists or what have you, that all of that is kind of thrown out here. Yeah. Um, you know, character the, the monsters have personalities per se, but they're not recognizable as the same types of characters that they were portrayed in those earlier films. Um, you know, they, Bano definitely had his own ideas on how to do this. And what type of story to tell with these with these creatures as as an allegorical tools, mm. and uh, and then then you marry it to the fact that it's 1971 and it's bananas go nuts, you know. <laughs> um, 
there's some fashion that definitely lets you know it's 1971. Oh, oh my gosh, yes, there is. There is some fashion. Just say, if you were wondering, like, I wonder when this was made. You yeah. might not peg 71, but you're like, this has got to be in the 70s. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, <laughs> period. Um, it's one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> right. The uh, yeah. The um, uh, we we see Ken. Uh, we 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 smash cut from the hit the the polluted bay to the to the the uh, the countryside the the beautiful countryside. We see Ken playing with his Godzilla toys, which to me is an immediate connection to Godzilla's Revenge because we see uh, Ichiro playing with his Godzilla toy. Well, we don't see him playing with, but we do see his Godzilla toy in the closet when he pulls out his monster radio. Yep. So a uh, little connection there, which I thought was nice. King Ghidorah makes a cameo appearance as well as a toy. Yeah. Uh, the, the line that, so, um, so, uh, Yukio, who is, uh, Ken's, um, I guess it's his uncle, right? Or his brother. I guess it's his uncle. They're not clear on what he is. No. (laughs) Yeah. He, um. Man who lived with him. Yes. uh, (laughs) But, uh, but he asks him, oh, is Godzilla your favorite? And I watched this subtitle and the subtitle goes, he's a Superman. And it's like. That's such a telling line about this because that's basically what Godzilla is. He's like the pre-crisis Superman in this movie, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, pre-crisis Superman, you think, but oh well, you know, whatever crazy, ridiculous story Superman had had some way to use his powers or some new power to to solve it. It's like that's pretty much this, you yep. know. But he's still a monster. I mean, he still has his his monstrous aspects to him. He's not as quite as benevolent as pre-crisis Superman. But uh, but I do like that the idea that he is a a Superman, and it's you know the, the we we've established Godzilla as a superhero in the earlier films, but it takes on its its own type of flavor with this one. Yeah, and tell me you're not jealous of those toys. Oh yeah, that's some so, marks and stuff, man. That's some vintage stuff. Tell me you're not jealous of those toys. There, I saw that and I was like, oh. Oh, and, and I'm not even talking about like how much all that stuff is worth. Just how cool would that stuff look on your shelf? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> there's a there's an episode of the original Ultraman like that where Pigmon, uh, who is mm-hmm. a human sized monster, where he is resurrected and he ends up in a in a the toy department of a department store, and right. the shelves are covered with Ultraman toys, like Ultra Kaiju toys. <laughs> it's like, man, look at them; they're so neat, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, then the um, you know we we do uh, we do see the uh, uh, the bay with uh, the ships that have collided together and they're spilling out the oil, and then the Hedra comes and and smashes the ships apart. That has always been kind of a very striking image to me. One of the ones I always associate because that's even in the American trailer for this film. That just the sh- shot of the the big tadpole Hedra smashing through the ch- the ships like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it the okay. So, uh, Toho's miniature work, uh, kind of set the bar, you know, for miniature work, like you know, in like these kind of movies and stuff. And that's how they do the things. It's not stop motion. It's not, you know, obviously there's no CG and stuff like that. But like, it's very effective. And I think they they were smart in to to use it in the trailer to kind of show, hey, look, this is the kind of stuff. I mean, it reads as real. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Even if water technically isn't scalable, it still reads as real. Yeah, well, the, the way that it works here, what I really like is, even if you just look at that shot before Hedra's in it, the ships look fantastic. The two cargo ships that have collided, that yeah. that looks that looks like it could be news footage. 
you know, yeah. even on the cleaned up Criterion Blu-ray, it really looks good. And and that's I will say that throughout this, you know, um, this is a film that for a long time had a pretty bad reputation. But regardless of what you think of the 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 uh, I'm not going to get into the human plot versus monster plot argument. Jesus, Lord knows we don't need that no more. That argument in the Daikaiju fandom. But regardless of what you think about the actual plot, just taking uh, Teriyoshi Nakano's effects on their own, these are really dang good. They hold up pretty well for a much reduced budget uh, compared to the level of stock footage that we had in uh, Godzilla's Revenge. I keep calling it Godzilla's Revenge because that's the title when I grew up with it. I know we're supposed to call it All Monsters Attack. It's Godzilla's Revenge, you know? And... Uh, the, but this, I mean, there's, there's almost no stock footage in this. The only real stock footage is actually of the, um, at the end when we see the high, the, the electrical towers, those are stock footage from more of the gargantuas, but everything else is, is new footage. And there's some really nice stuff here on a fairly small budget that, uh, you know, uh, we'd, we'd see Nakano, his ability to work with a bigger budget when we got to like, uh, like return of Godzilla in 1984, but in these seventies films, it's like he often didn't have the uh, the budget or the manpower to really do the more advanced stuff. So he he gets a lot out of what resources he has. I think that that was my main takeaway for, for here is that considering the limitations, he does a really good job with with what he's given. Um, the uh, the so the, the so when they when uh, we go to uh, Doctor Yano scuba diving, uh, the scenes of him actually scuba diving. That is Yoshimitsu Bano in a wetsuit. Okay. So apparently he liked to scuba dive. So that was that was just him. I just always thought it's funny. It's I guess it's kind of like when uh, you know we need a killer glove in uh, in a giallo. It's Argento's hand, right? You know. So, uh, well, so that was kind of funny. <laughs> but um, the so uh, uh, and then the uh, the attack. Uh, we see Ken getting menaced. You know, it's not. It's weird that we have two Godzilla films in a row with a kid when usually there aren't kids in Godzilla movies, you right, know, yeah. not playing any, any major role. Uh, yeah. uh, but here, whereas we do see Ichiro getting menaced in, in the real world here, Ken is menaced by a monster and it's not imagination. It's, it's, you know, for the purposes of our story, real. Mm -hmm. I, th I thought that was pretty interesting of, of Bano putting the child character in direct menace in like the first 10 minutes of the movie. You think that was in like, like in like response to the way it was handled in the other one, like how like how everything there where the he's menaced in the real world, but he's not. But then he like goes into his his fantasy where Gabra is now a a monster and Mingya. You think that was kind of used that way as kind of like a reference directly to, you know, whatever. I don't, I'm just saying it's like I it's like, what I the the way that I read this, and I might be completely off, is that given the way that. Bano treats literally every group of characters in this film that I think what he's saying is that just because you're a kid, you're not safe, you know, okay. just because, cause it's like, just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you're safe. Just because you're military doesn't mean you're safe. Just because you're a hippie doesn't mean you're safe. Everybody is menaced by Hedra, but is menaced by this ecological crisis. Right. And, and he does it again later. We will get to it in a little bit, but he, he, men he, we, he teases, Ken being seriously hurt later on. So it's, it's almost as if he's, it's almost as if I think Bano is, is pointing to the audience and saying, you little kid in Japan watching this movie, you're going to be a target if you don't do something, 
You know, everyone has to do something. You're not immune to this problem. Right, 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 right. So. I don't know. I, I thought maybe because you know how sometimes they do that in movies where you're like, well, you're not, you know, like, uh, like I know they kind of like you, you had to show a kid, you know, being in, you know, in peril. Right. But like, I'm actually having him interact with the monster. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just. That could, I, I mean, it, it absolutely could be. I mean, uh, like I said, nothing, nothing seemed off limits to, to what he was trying to do here. Or maybe I'm putting a little too much of a uh, Western spin on things, you know, maybe very, very, um, I, 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 okay. So not everyone probably understands the reference, but, um, you know, to say you're not horror kind of thing, yeah. the, the <laughs> jaw closer with the slash through it and Hills Have Eyes as, right. as Craven saying, uh, no, no. You're not horror, we're horror, and then to have the Hills Have Eyes poster slashed in half in by Sam Raimi and Evil Dead saying, no, no, you're not horror, we're real horror. I didn't know if it was maybe that. Again, maybe I'm putting too much of a Western spin on it, um, you know, kind of thing. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I've, I've read a few interviews with Bano, but not not as many as you might think. You know, I guess uh, he, he, I've, I've, I said, I've, I've read a few, but not... For a guy that had such polarizing uh, couple of movies that he made, you'd, you'd think he'd talk more, but apparently, uh, I, if they're out there, they're in Japanese, and I can't read them. So, it's kind of limits us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Yano, his face scarred by Hedra, tells a TV crew about the smog monster. Yano speculates that the creature is a living mineral with a body composed of industrial waste animated by contact with a space mineral, which he names Hedrium. Each piece of the monster has a life of its own, and the tiny parts can fuse together into a larger monster. There is no limit to its potential size and plenty of pollution from which to grow. Ken then dreams Godzilla will combat humanity's pollution and Hedra as an emblem of that pollution. So 12 minutes in, we get the God first Godzilla appearance in, uh, in Ken's little vision, dream, whatever you want to call it. Uh, looking quite similar to we did the last film. <laughs> it's the same suit, but uh, but that's okay. That wouldn't be a problem till the next movie. But yeah. uh, but this, this uh, I mean, first off, uh, I, would, I do want to jump back to the professor real quick. But this scene with Godzilla uh, attacking the 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 the, uh, the sludge pool, whatever you want to call it, that's that's pretty that's pretty cool. I think. I mean, even though it's it's dreamy imagery, the shot of Godzilla kind of appearing at the edge of the water and we see all the garbage heap in front of him and we just see Godzilla kind of juxtaposed against the, uh, against the sky in the background. I think that's a, a really nice, a really nice effect shot. Yeah. The, the one thing I can say about Hedra, I mean, as Hedra changes forms and stuff. Yeah. Um, and again, if you think about what we got in the sixties, like some of the, 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 and then what was to come in the seventies, um, you know, like King Ghidorah, doesn't change forms, you right. know, and does not change forms. Mothra goes from, you know, the, the, the larvae into the moth, uh, kind of thing, you know, like it, it goes, or where's in the egg, it's different form there, but it's not like it's changing forms at will. Right. It's kind of like, that's, again, I'm trying to think what else, did anyone, did any of them change forms at will? No, not up to no. this point. Right. No. We would later see that. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, it just, but to me, when it's the sludge and stuff, and later we see the sludge this again, it looks like the blob. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, we never got Godzilla versus the blob. But, right. like, we kind of got Godzilla versus the blob, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it, 
it kind of was tying together a lot of different ideas. It has a flying form. It has a, a monster form. It has, it, it's, it's just because it's, it's alien, but not alien in like, like Egan is an alien or like Ghidorah is an alien. Like it's alien in that it doesn't have a shape. Right. So what, this is 71. So 11 years before Carpenter was to give us the thing, which had mm-hmm. no shape. We're yeah. based getting that idea here. Right. That's, that's a good point. The idea of an alien that whose physiology is so different from ours that yeah. it's, it's hard for us to comprehend it as, you know, for the characters to really understand it. You know, Dr. Yano even says it, it, it behaves like a mineral. That's not possible for a, a mineral to be alive. Well, it's, if it's an alien, then it could be a mineral that's alive. And, and Dr. Yano, he definitely is the Serizawa of this film. Um, sure. You know, even down to the fact that, that Bano has him get, um, uh, has his eye being covered with the bandages, much like Serizawa's eye patch. And what I thought was interesting is that uh, Serizawa gets the damage done to his eye in the war. And though he, so he wears the eye patch. Here, Dr. Yano's eye is damaged from from Hedra, from the pollution. So yeah. it's the same idea that it's something that man has created. You know, the war was a, was man's product. The pollution is man's product, and they both have scarred our hero, and 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 know uh, and and marks them forever because they were a part of this this crisis that man created. So right. I mean, and that you know what's interesting is I'll, I'm going to say this several times. A lot of this stuff went right over my head as a kid, right oh, over my head. And none and, of these things hit when yeah. you were a kid. Right. <laughs> but, but I mean, but you know what though? Like if you watch, you watch, um, you watch uh, Godzilla versus the thing, Mothra versus Godzilla from 1964, right? One of my favorite parenting moments is watching that movie with my kids. And when the guys are fighting over the money and they get killed when Godzilla destroys the hotel is, yes. is my younger boy going, you're going to get killed for money. And he's, and he's like pointing at the screen and yelling at them that they're going to fight over money when Godzilla is going to destroy them and kill them. So obviously what Sekizawa was doing there, very plain. Anybody can see that right here for a movie that seems to be aimed at all audiences, because we'll talk about the animation in a second, but it goes, you know, from it's all over the place, but there are themes here that are clearly aimed at the older audience that I appreciate a lot more now than I did back then and uh but then but then again then you get the animation and the idea of the the first animated sequence shows the factory anytime something sprouts it grabs oh, it, it I loves it up yeah well, i gotta say it's real quick i mean i know i know i don't want to jump ahead here but oh. the animation of the factory and it just like it just its eyes not always moving together like it as if it's two living different things the eyes are each individualized living things very much like Carpenter's The Thing, where every cell is alive, and that mm-hmm. it just keeps growing and growing. And again, I know its factory is getting bigger, but it's so that when I was younger, when we when we saw this, you know, on Channel Five back in the day, kind of thing, whatever, right, on a Saturday afternoon, that st- st- stuck with me. Besides the fight with Hedra and stuff like that, I don't re- did not remember a lot of the other parts of this movie. The the stuff where you kind of more, you know, as a grown up, you would look at whatever. But the animation stayed with me. And obviously, when once they start battling Hedra and the craziness that happens with all that, whatever. But that imagery works really well. Why? Right. Because we're talking about a limited budget. When we talk about a limited budget, you know, there's the, um, you know, we, we, we know this very well. You, you 
uh, hide the negative and you accentuate the positive, right? right. You don't want to show everyone your weakness. You want to show everyone the best stuff you can do and then kind of keep the other stuff hidden away. That animation saved in that little part was able to give a lot of information to everyone watching without actually having to shoot a scene or do now again the animation had to be done but animation can be done later it can be done yeah. separately it doesn't have to worry about like filming or like what's the weather like today or do we have the right things does is the suit too wet is the whatever you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. none of that stuff has to be there so yeah and uh and and it, this also we see this throughout this film but also again we'll see it later in prophecies of nostradamus bano has this rapid fire delivery of information that he hits you with and here, especially as director. Now he had, the story goes that he had a lot of influence over the direction of prophecies of Nostradamus, but even just as the screenwriter, it's boom, 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 boom. Stuff keeps happening. We keep, keep getting hit with ideas and information in this film. And it, it's, it's always moving forward. It's got a lot of momentum in it, which you don't always get sometimes in, in the Godzilla film, especially when some of the ones in the sixties, they take a little while to get started at the beginning where they introduce the characters, introduce the, the, the general plot, you know, get things going here. It's like, we're going right away, you know, well, because I think some of that has to do with the fact that even though they are technically sequels, quote unquote, they're in a series of movies, they're not sequels. Right. Like I don't need to be reintroduced to who the rock is when all of a sudden we have to watch Hobbs and Shaw. I already know who Hobbs and Shaw are. I don't have to worry about who they are. You have to introduce one character and we're good to go. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. He, except for Godzilla and the other, you know, you know, Rodan, Geeter, all the other guys, right? right? Every other character has to be introduced because we don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And Toho, a few of them are played by the same people who are yeah. in another movie. So they aren't even the same character, right? <laughs> it's, and again, I'm not knocking it. I understand no, how that's, studio that's, works. Yeah. But that was not, so, yeah. right. It's not like you can say like, "Hey, I know that guy." Yeah. Oh, but that guy was the scientist in the last movie. Oh, now he's an astronaut. Wait, is it the same? It's not the same guy. So you'd have to come in and go, "Okay, I recognize the actor. This time he's an astronaut. Got it. This time this is happening. Got it." And it takes time. But the yeah. thing is, even do the do any of the aliens ever repeat themselves in not the Godzilla? In the, not in the same series, no. So we no. got like we get the Exians in. Yeah, later. Monster Zero, and then we get the Exians in Final Wars, but they're not the same race, no. Right. So it's yeah. not like the Exians were the same in, like, in, uh, you know, Monster Zero and in, uh, um, you know, uh, monsters or monsters yeah. or whatever. Like, it's not like they they were always the same alien going to be there, because then you kind of like, oh, okay, and then you can kind of tie people together, because then yeah. you can say, oh, well, I talked to, you know, Doctor Whoever. And you'd be like, oh, that's from this movie, and it references right. over. It's a different monster, a different yeah. rate, you know, whatever. Yeah, the, the only, yeah, so the only show of films that really do that are the two Mechagodzillas, even though as different as they are, they are they are direct sequels. That, Terror is a direct sequel to the first one, so that one does have the same race of, of aliens in it, now that I think about that. Right, but, 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 but yeah, generally one. speaking, each entry yeah. kind of stands on its own. But, it's, but isn't that, though, when you start looking at the ones that came in the 90s, right? Yes. Like, Biolanti and like into like uh, what uh, Tokyo yeah, that, SOS. Yeah, that, that, well, the, the the Heisei series. So uh, Biolanti, King Ghidorah, Mothra, Mechagodzilla, Space Godzilla, and Destoroya. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and the later were the Tokyo SOS. Those were later on. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Those but, were Millennium. Right. Millennium. Right. So when you look at those, even though maybe it's not exactly the same, those movies do follow Godzilla. 
does get big. Like everything kind of follows, boom, 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 right. boom. And even if it's not the exact same people every time. Yes. So the difference being, though, is it's not vastly different each time. So right. you don't have, hey, we're going to start over, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> well, you, you know, be- there's uh, there, there's strengths and weaknesses, right? It's uh, having continuity. Fans love that. Fans love having the continuity and Mickey Segusa showing up over and over and the evolution of G-Force and yeah. the yeah. remnants of Mecha King Ghidorah being built into Mecha Godzilla. But filmmakers don't necessarily like that because you're less, you have less freedom. You know, you can't be a Yoshimitsu Bano to come in and do literally something that's a hard left turn away from the rest of it. We we see this criticism leveled at the, uh, I don't want to get on this topic, but at the Marvel movies now, right? Yes. That the Marvel movies now all have to be the same because that formula makes them billions of dollars with a B. So yes. they, they ha- they, the chances for experimentation, even as little as the experimentation was in the early days of the Marvel movies, that's gone now. It's you, thou shalt follow the formula. You know, right. and the only reason you can break the formula is if you're going to get the formula back, like we saw with with uh, Infinity War. Infinity War breaks the formula because we know, well, we're going to get the formula back because it's a two part movie. But otherwise, it's like thou shalt. Yeah. No, no, I get that. And I wasn't trying to get us off topic here. I just just the idea when you look at the the, the you know the different time periods of, of the the Godzilla and just kaiju movies and mostly Godzilla movies, right? They kind of you know each one. You know, when I mean, you get, especially in the, the in the seventies, each one's kind of its own thing, right. you know, kind of thing into itself. And it was so different than, I mean, let's be honest, in the seventies, what was really big? I mean, we've already talked about with James Bond movies, where right. yes, every time Bond is fighting a different, you know, what well, was that from what Moonraker and the Spy Who Loved Me, right? Isn't that kind of tied together with Jaws? Well, Jaws, oh, yeah, Jaws right? appears in them, right? Yeah. But there's different villains. I mean, he's always fighting, you know whoever and different people played different the you know uh you know the the, the who played blofeld and whatever else right. kind of thing the idea being is you didn't have to reintroduce who james bond was right it wasn't like all of a sudden when when uh um well when george lazenby takes over i mean he literally has the best line this never happens to the other guy yeah. you know think, but like you didn't have to reintroduce like oh who's that guy it's james bond like it's already right. established the same thing happens with godzilla the difference right. is godzilla is not able to talk yes and, advance the story he's there you know again whatever you may believe the monsters do talk and one of what i forget which one it is whether kind it's, of it's you know, you gigan is the next one they actually do talk in that one right but but it's not like godzilla is telling you the story he's not advancing yeah. you have to have the humans get to that part right. um which again makes each one different and so thing and again it's it's what it is and i'm not you know kind of say it's amazing or bad either way uh it's just that's why we kind of feel sometimes these movies drag in yeah. the beginning, because you got to set them up, right. and you know, to be honest, though, as a kid, yeah, you think, okay, we're getting there, we're getting there, but you remember the monster fights, you remember mm-hmm. the big things, those things, um, and then, like I said here, you remember the animation because it's crazy. Right now, one thing I just want to mention here: the, the 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 kid has the dream, whatever you know, vision, right. however you want to call it. Do you think that that idea was used later on? to kind of like pay homage to this where the, the, the young, the girl is connected to Godzilla. I'm yeah. So it's, it's, it's an up for debate whether Ken actually has some sort of connection with Godzilla. It's implied. And yeah. evidently in the manga adaptation, according to Toho kingdom in the manga, it's spelled out specifically that they do in fact have a telepathic relationship. Uh, right. Now, of course, 
they, the qualifier to that is that these manga adaptations often did take liberties with the story because they were they were kind of produced on their own. So yeah, yeah I, I think that that idea of the connection between the 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 uh, the youth character and the monster, I I think that that may have something to do with it. I mean, it's not an uncommon thing for a young character to have some type of connection. They even play around with this a, a tiny bit in Gorgo with the kids. Yes. Uh, so it's not an uncommon thing. It's the idea of, uh, you know, the, the innocent character and the, the, the heroic monster. So I, I can, I can totally see that as being part of that. I mean, the, um, that, that story, the ESP story, it's biggest thing really is in uh, Violante. And then again, in Destoroyah where they're, you know, with tracking Godzilla Jr. and stuff like that. Um, so I could totally see that. I, I have, I, I mean, to me now, it's almost like a trope by the time they do it in the 90s, but they're doing it in the 70s. I think it's right on point. That's yeah. a good, that's, that's very insightful. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things that you kind of think about, because in Gorgo, it's just, you know, it, he's not talking to Gorgo, but he kind of like, maybe I'm saving a silly skins, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Um, but it, but you can see it there, but like here, it, I mean, okay. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, all the way through. I caught it the other day. They actually showed this as part of a marathon during the whole quarantine thing. They had a Godzilla marathon. And I yeah. caught the end of it, but I forgot about how much, like, it, it happens throughout the story that he's, oh, Godzilla's, like, when they're, like, again, he's, he's able to get Godzilla supposedly sending him, oh, no, they're here. He's telling me this information. I'm like, wow, man, they reused that in the 90s, you know, kind yeah. of thing. It's just weird. I totally blanked on all that. It seems like yeah. when you're paying homage to the something, when, when every story literally is not, cook, you know, one right after the other, right after the other, you know, like the Marvel movies or the Fast and the Furious movies or whatever, they all just kind of fit in order. When they're all their own individual things, but part of a bigger series, sometimes those, uh, I'll call them callbacks or, you know, yeah. homages are there to kind of remind you, hey, this whole thing does tie together. Like in the end right. of the day, this all works. You know, whether Godzilla can lean on his tail and fly yeah. in any of the movies, is totally irrelevant. It's because it works there to throw that giant drop kick he throws. You know, yes. I think the that's greatest the scene in film history. <laughs> the giant drop uh, kick. So, so, uh, so, yeah. So Godzilla tracks the monster Hedra on to land as Hedra sucks the fumes from a factory smokestack. Godzilla and Hedra fight briefly to a stalemate, causing lots of destruction as they do. Meanwhile, Yukio and Mickey, teenage friends of Dr. Yano, dance at a psychedelic club. Mickey sings, Return the Sun, or Save the Earth, while undulating on top of Yukio's table. Um, Yukio is apparently drunk and or dropping acid because he hallucinates that everyone is fish. Okay, so real quick. um... What the actual... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, what is going on? So I, okay, so I'm watching this last night, and again, I'm, I'm eating dinner, and I'm reading and stuff and whatever, and I'm thinking like, wait, what happened? Did I miss it? I actually stopped moving and went back. I go, I thought I missed something. And I'm like, nope, I didn't miss anything. Nope. He literally nope. now believes all fish. Um, okay, so yeah. but here's, here's the thing. So then I started thinking about this, because before this, we see Hedra, you know, is, you know uh, absorbing and sucking in the smoke from the, the yes. factory. So, and then the guy has hallucinations. Now, I understand it's a different kind of thing, either dropping acid or, you know, kind of smoking pot. But right. could it be that, like, Hedra doing that is a, is symbolic of drug use here? Then yes. maybe we're getting the next scene? Like, I... like the, the fumes are his drug. Okay, 
So remember, um, I come in peace. Uh, yes. You know the the, the, the Dolph Lundgren classic. movie. That's, yes, classic. Brian when Benben. When are we covering and, I Come in Peace on Bots, Bugs, and Babes? Uh, it's finally on Blu-ray, so we finally can because it wasn't available. Yes. <laughs> it's coming. Marv Albert um, over here. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so let's I, see that again. <laughs> I just had an idea that maybe that was what they were saying. Like, here he is inhaling his drug. And you're like, oh, well, that makes sense because that's what he needs. He's fueling on it, right? Kind of like, you know, they were trying to, you know, ODing them and he's getting from there. But then we blatantly get a scene where it looks like the guy is high out of his gourd, you know, kind of thing. No, no, I think think you're dead on because the note that I was making about if you watch Hedra, first off, I love the cop. That says, yeah. Hedra's a water monster. You don't know what you're talking about. The first of many authority figures that are 100% wrong in this movie. Yeah, um, uh, so when you watch Hedra, when he's on the smokestack, you know, his eyes, his eyes are lit from the from behind. They, they, they go, like, they dim and brighten up, dim and brighten up. And you get the idea, like, he's, like, his eyes are, like, half-lidded. Like someone yeah. who's, who's, you know, altering their mind in, with some type of substance. So I, I think that, again, I think you're right on. It's the idea that, you know, Hedra has, his, needs his fix, just like yeah. uh, Yukio needs his fix, or has gotten his fix, you know, and that he's, and that both of them have, have that something that they're dependent on, and they're both, you know, thus they're beholden to other things. Because, I mean, Hedra looks like a junkie, basically. He's just, he sees it, he grabs it, and he's just sucking it in and sucking it, and he, and he looks... As much as he's, like I said, like you said, he's like the blob. He's a big amorphous blob, you know, but he looks like that's like the most satiated he looks throughout the whole movie is when he's sucking on that smokestack. And his eyes are really red. So (laughs) he does kind of look like a cowley. Like, what? What? Yeah, what? He does look a little, uh, you know. Got kind of a Jim Brewer thing going on a little bit. I couldn't think of his name. I was like the guy, you know, like the goat boy. I couldn't think if of his you name. got it, if Jim. you got a case of Pepsi, you could just keep driving around. Yeah, but uh... <laughs> oh, yes, but very much so. I think I think that um, again, we're talking late '60s when this is kind of being written in early '70s. I think '71, so it was filmed yeah. in '70. Like we're not that far out of that stuff. I mean, there are no. still things in this movie, yeah. and you know. The, the idea of questionable activities based on possible mind-altering, uh, you know, substances, yeah. again, will rear its head later in the movie. You know, right. kind of thing. And, so, and, and you know, it's funny, 1971, so Woodstock was, was what, 68 or 69, right? Um, and so it's 66. What's up with 66? Well, okay. Well, anyway, in 71, we're po- but the point I'm getting at is we're post Charles Manson, right? Yes. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So the, and, and always, well, the idea that I've always seen, now, of course, I wasn't around. I didn't have yeah. the, I had the gall not to be born until 1980. But the thing <laughs> I've always heard was that the Manson family was the end of the hippie movement because it showed that I said, oh, don't trust anybody over 30. Well, don't trust the long hairs either because they might be lunatics. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I've always thought that, well, okay, well that, that it's a post Manson look at hippies and that, yeah, we're going to save the world with peace and love, except you didn't save anything. You didn't yeah. save anything because now all the pollution that you did nothing about literally is walking onto land to kill you. It's not just, you know, it, it, it it's like we, we have symbolic death and then we've got actual death. It was and, 69. And we, you were right. 
sorry. Yeah. August and, 1869 to August 1869. Yeah. I'm wrong. And then, but, then, but then the Manson film was 1970, if I'm remembering correctly. So yes. it, it, it was right after Woodstock. I remember that being, that was always the, the, the breakout, right? And so, so you get now it's, it's, it's again, the, the idea that all your, that, that, that you're, 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 you know, saving the world with love didn't do anything. I think mm-hmm. that's what Bano was saying. It, it's an indictment. Everyone is indicted in this film. Nobody comes off. The only person who comes off being okay, really, is Godzilla and Ken. Yeah. You know, because Ken does everything he can to try and do it. And, the, and Dr. Yano, really, Dr. Yano as well. I mean, it's not his fault that he's, he's, he's laid up hurt. But... Yeah. But you know, everybody else like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, like later, we're gonna have a party, man. It's like, what did your party accomplish? That you know, the it's almost as if doesn't doesn't Maximus and Gladiator say the time for talk and half measures is over? Oh my god, yeah. it's almost yes. that's like what Banna was saying that the time for talk and half measures is over. Now is the time for action, and all the action is is ineffectual. Um, so the man, um, the man's was nineteen sixty nine. Okay, so yeah, right around Woodstock then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was right. It might have been. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry, folks. As I'm trying to like. Okay. So just so case listeners aren't sure. Obviously, you weren't born, and neither was I. <laughs> so uh, it was like either of us lived. Even if we were babies, we didn't live through any of this stuff. So this is all like history to us. So we have to look how to look it up because I'm like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, I got. I got nothing. But got uh, nothing. <laughs> um, so, but we do. We do get now the the first uh, fight between Godzilla yes. and the, the landfall version of Hedra. And uh, this, again, it's, it's in, what, in some ways, it's a, it's a monster fight. You know, it's, we've seen these, we understand how they work, but then it goes in a different direction. Um, you know, he, I love the, he, he goes full Claudio Castagnoli swinging Hedra around. You got yes. Rodan and Angus on the side going five, six, seven. No, just counting all the swings. Oh yeah. But as he's swinging them, which is comical, okay, and it and it cuts to the guys shuffling the mahjong tiles, which I thought was a nice visual touch. But it's a comical scene of him swinging Hedra over and over, and then the bit of Hedra flies off, and the sludge kills all the mahjong players. Yes. So it's it's this hard smash cut. From oh that's kind of funny oh crap yeah you know? yeah <laughs> yeah and and it's, I again another thing I completely missed as a kid you know yeah right I mean the thing is the the fight again Hedra is weird because um when you when you watch the movie and it's not cleaned up it's he looks black yes or dark brown and then when you see him now you can start to see that he's not he looks like oil mm-hmm. he's shiny and purples and blues and and everything is kind of slick and pearl you know kind of like, like, like a pearlized finished on certain things or like it's like or kind of like a like a metallic kind of thing yes. he he looks really cool mm-hmm. and yet but he definitely sells the idea that he's oily you think right. you know quote unquote oily not like you know kind of thing like but like he's gonna, like he's he gonna look- sell you a deal on a car man that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's not Danny DeVito from Matilda. Um, I'm just saying, he, he looks like he's got, what do you call it? He looks like he's viscous and like uh, and like, like what, what an oil spill would look like. Later on, we know that, the, you know, the, the, you know, the Valdez yes. oil spill and all that stuff, right? The idea, though, is that he's like that. So he's unlike anything we've seen so far in any other movie because he yep. doesn't have scales. He doesn't have, you know, he, I mean, 
he he's different looking. He doesn't look like Angurus or Ghidorah or Rodan yeah. or Mothra or anything else. He doesn't look like anyone else. So he, he's not recognizably an animal of any kind. Whereas all right. of the other monsters up to this point, even the most outlandish ones like King Ghidorah, were yeah. recognizably an animal. You know. Yeah. Yes, he had three heads, but he was a dragon. He had wings and scales and tails, you know, and the bug, I mean, the bugs were obviously insectoid or arachnoid, you know, the, the other ones looked like dinosaurs or, or yeah. other types of, uh, of animals. So they were at least recognizable here. I mean, Godzilla, um, you know, goes to hit him and it goes right through him. Yep. And, and that's a great image. And you talk about this being cleaned up. I was saying this, uh, I was saying this to my, to my sons the other day that when we had this on VHS, so much of this movie just looked black. Yep. It was hard now because a lot of this movie takes place at night. It looks so much nicer. Even going back just to the Kraken releasing Section 23 DVD, it looked a lot nicer and was a lot, me to me, a more enjoyable film because you could see it and visually understand it better. On on the Criterion, it looks fantastic. I mean, there's no, this is the best this movie's ever looked as far as I'm concerned. It could look better than this. Yeah. Um, because you know, at some point your eyes can only see to a certain level. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, unless your eyes got you know somehow even better than they could see, then maybe whatever. But like, I mean, we're watching this on a big screen, you know, and the cleanest has ever looked, and you can finally see everything in it. It literally, I've said this to you for years. Uh, when I first saw Hills Have Eyes, I was like, man, is there people in this scene? Right. I hear voices, but I don't see anybody. And then you get the DVD, like, oh my gosh, there's people. Then you get the blue, like, oh my gosh, I can tell what they're wearing. Like, <laughs> it literally, scenes are so dark, you can't see. And it's a monster that's not bright. He's not Titanosaurus. Titanosaurus! My absolute favorite yeah. um, kind of thing. He's not brightly colored. He's not He's not even gold. He's not even something that pops. Yeah. He's like darker colors. And that's why you always thought he was just black. Well, he's not yeah. black. He's purples and blues and all these great colors all mixed together. So, right. Yeah. So, uh, so the fight goes on for, for a bit here. Um, mm -hmm. We see uh, um, the one of, one of Hedra's main attacks in this form is what, uh, what I always called the sludge bullet where yes. he shoots the sludge and it burns Godzilla, this, whatever this caustic material that he is made of. And uh, we also see Hedra leaking sludge when Godzilla punctures him, which is gross, you know. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a, a very, um, uh, there's a scene I love here where Hedra retreats and Godzilla chases him and Godzilla actually walks down the dock and jumps into the bay like the end of Godzilla versus a sea monster. Yes. Uh, so uh, good job by uh, Haru Nakajima to uh, not fall over while trying to jump off of this uh, off of this thing into the effects tank. Always, that is tough because you got to jump in all that latex and they got to pull you at the same time to get you up off the ground. So good work there. <laughs> I just want to say, some people may not appreciate this. They're like, well, how, like, this isn't current day suits. These are the 70s, the 60s and 70s. Those suits were super, not that they're super light now, but they have ways yeah. around it now and like different materials and stuff. This was hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah I always say that it's like Haru Nakajima acting in you know a couple hundred pounds of foam, of latex and rubber and he is incredible you know it's like most of us we'd be like I can't move you know <laughs> uh, uh -oh. mentioning mentioning Haru Nakajima I do want to take a moment to uh, mention uh, Kengo Nakayama who plays Hedra um, he would later go on he would actually play Gigan in the next two movies. And uh, so he was actually one of Nakajima's um, 
proteges. And now he would later be known under the name Kempachiro Satsuma, and he would go on, Satsuma would go on to play uh, Godzilla in all of the uh, Heisei films. So from uh, 1984 through 1995, he would go on to play uh, play the uh, Godzilla in those films. So uh, n- nice seeing him uh, pop up. He's got kind of a Hedra doesn't get a lot of characterization, you know. So and he's like you say, he's always changing forms. So whether he is a uh, a, a puppet versus a suit at any given time depends on the story. But uh, it's uh, you know it's working with. I mean, Nakajima shows a lot of character for Godzilla here. So I guess it makes sense that uh, Hedra wouldn't ha- necessarily need to show a lot of uh, character being the, the big heavy that he is. Yeah. Plus he's also kind of shaped like a muumu. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't want to look like a freak. I'll just take a muumu. <laughs> the, uh, the other scene that, uh, that everyone remembers from this, the, the river of slime comes down yeah. into the club and then retracts itself. And the kitten is sitting there mewling. Okay. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to my guest on this one. What you got, Jay? Tell me that scene is not the blob. Yes. I'm um, so just the blob. So the blob. Yeah. I mean, I just say, tell me that scene is not. I mean, all you need is Steve McQueen going. Would you listen, Dave? I gotta tell you what's happening. Like, you know, <laughs> it's it's happened to Doc. Well, what happened? I'm trying to tell you. You know, kind of thing. Like, it is the blob. Dad and I covered that movie. I'm just saying. It is. So, sorry. No, no, it, because it is. But the, the idea, it comes up now, Dr. Yano will say later that it didn't eat the kitten because it ate the fumes off the smokestack. But why, I, what I don't get what? is why, why does the cat survive when the, when the, the humans couldn't? You know? I don't know. Maybe so because the, the kitten might be a bridge too far. I don't know. Yeah. Or the only other thing I could think is that the kitten represents the kitten. Maybe the kitten represents the natural world. And well, maybe you know, okay. the cat didn't create the pollution, but the but the but they're going to kill everything anyway. They've killed plenty of birds and fish already in this movie. Right. I'm just saying is if it's like you know like look, we can menace and possibly kill children, and we'll see them kill children eventually, right? But we're not going to kill this baby kitten. Yeah. This little this little kitten. No, no. You thought we were going there. Swerve. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a move that inspired uh, all of M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong's movies. What a twist. We didn't what a twist. Had. Oh, the, uh, from here we go. Oh, Isn't, yeah. that the rule, though? Isn't that the rule? The dog? I, the, 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 who's that hero, right? Says it like, you know, you know, I don't care if the kid does, as long as the dog's okay. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, the, dog, yeah. the dog has to escape, yeah. you know. Everyone else gets murdered in that scene, you know, whatever. The dog is in I will never forget. Out of I will never forget watching Halloween 4 with my friend Gerard Tui and him being physically angry that, that Michael Myers kills a dog in that movie. Yes. He's like, yeah. why do you have to kill the dog, man? I'm like, he just rammed a shotgun through a guy. <laughs> the dog didn't do nothing wrong, man. That's all I'm saying. kill the dog. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Well, so after that, we get our, our second animated sequence. This is the one of Hedra, where we see Hedra jumping on top of the factory and sucking up all the fumes and getting bigger and bigger. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit shorter than the last one, but still stands out. Very, very cool. Very, like I said, very avant-garde. You know, the idea of mixing media like that. Very, very 70s in that sense, even though we're right at the beginning of the 70s here. I do like that. Um, the bit right after that, though, 
is where we're at the professor's house and we have the news on. And this, the news, the news reader says that there is a death toll from the fight. And they say in the subtitles, they say 35 dead, 81 injured and 322 buildings damaged. This is the only time that there is a death toll named for a monster fight other than the original Godzilla from 54 in the entire show a series. Yep. And, and it's, and it's like, again, Bano's not pulling any punches. He goes, you don't want to do anything about pollution. Well, here's your consequence. Yep. You don't want to take action. Well, then I hope you're going to be okay with people dying from being drowned in sludge because that's, what's going to happen. And, and again, for a movie that for a long time had a reputation for being kind of wackadoo out there, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty on the nose, serious message. Yeah, he, uh, it, it's, it's funny in that, like, that, again, like you said, this movie's remembered for being so kind of zany or whatever, weird or whatever, and it is, it is a weird movie when you look at other Godzilla movies or the kind of the way Godzilla movies were to unfold and, you know, right before and after, but I think it's remembered that way because it is different and people just didn't know how to describe it, mm. so they just said, oh, it was just weird. You know, kind yeah. of thing, and it's like, yeah, but it's poignant. Like it is, it's in your face. Like that's isn't that always the problem though? Movies that tend to again, I understand. Not every movie has to change your life. I get it, kind of thing, right? But he's got a message, and his message is there. But the message isn't, hey, let's have another monster fight. Like his message is like, I'm going to tell you stuff, and then we're going to have monsters fight. But I'm going to keep telling you stuff. And I think isn't isn't right. that kind of the idea though too? Um, and we've seen this in the last, you know. Uh, 12, 12, 15, 20 years, right, with all the rise of the superhero movies, right? They never, at least in one company, never talks about how many people ever died when you destroy, I don't know, New York City. Right. Um, you know, kind of thing like, oh, magically it's okay, magically it's fine. Like, no one ever talks about the death toll and what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do that here, again, some people might look at it like, oh, it doesn't need to be here. But it's telling you that this is it, it makes it more real. It grounds it more in reality than just magically everyone survived. Mm-hmm. No, you know? Right. So. Yeah. But. No, I, I, I very much appreciated that again as a, uh, as a, as an adult viewer. Um, mm-hmm. So, so after the animated sequence, we get uh, again, where the professor is doing more experiments. And I love that. Um, uh, um, Mickey asks the question, cause they talk about that. Oh, he's eating this, this, the smoke. It's like, could Hedra eat all the pollution? And I love that a character asks that question because it's a reasonable question. It's like, well, if he's eating the stuff off the smokestack, wouldn't he eat all the pollution? And the professor, of course, says, no. Well, the problem is that he produces, the chemicals he produces are even more potent yes. than the yes. ones that they're producing, which is that, that again, is a theory in, in, uh, in, um, in uh, ecological conservation is that adding pollutants to the environment creates a higher octane form of those same chemicals that actually is worse than just the initial chemical in the first place. It's, it's a theory, believe it or not, I've actually read, uh, this goes back to when I was an undergrad and, uh, this was in actually an economics, uh, class. Uh, there is a, a, uh, there was a whole, uh, paper that we read about that from an economic standpoint, one argument is that recycling doesn't make sense because recycling actually creates a higher, more potent form of a pollutant than municipal solid waste. So even right. though you're trying to do something right, it's the fact that you're acting on something 
is releasing something in a more lethal form. So that's you know kind of like Hedra's doing here. It's like, yeah, he is eating up the, all the pollution, but he's making it infinitely worse. He's sort of like, te- you talked about uh, superhero movies, he's kind of like he's terraforming the planet. Yes. He's kind of making it better for him to live in. Just, yes. You know, all us pesky humans don't need to be here. I mean, literally, that's isn't that what the whole point of what Darkseid is trying to eventually do to, like, isn't it Darkseid's doing yeah. that to Earth? Well, the, the, as I say, the, the Kryptonians are doing it in Man of Steel, and yes. then, and then uh, Steppenwolf is doing it in Justice League as well. And Steppenwolf is acting on Darkseid's you know, behalf. Yeah, well, yeah, eventually yeah. we'll get that Snyder cut. We'll, we'll understand yeah. it all. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Some of us read comic understood it already, but, you know, hey. Yeah, uh, well, so. I, I, you know, it's, it's hilarious watching people who don't read comics, watch like Spider-Man far from home. That's all I'm going to say. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's like, no, how is that possible? But, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, following that, the, um, Hedra, we next see him has, uh, uh, well, okay. So next we actually see, uh, them, we see, um, Mickey and, uh, Ken, and Yukio at the amusement park. And yep. uh, they're told, oh, it's okay because Hedra only comes out at night. And of course, that's not true. You know, um, Ken gets the vision of Godzilla, runs off to the phone booth, calls his dad. And that's where we get the one I referred to earlier, where it's strongly implied that Ken is killed. Yes. When the line is cut off and we cut back and the phone booth is smashed. And it's just that he's ducked down out of the way. So it's like, again, I don't know that Bano could have gotten away with killing a kid. In 1971 for Toho. Straight up killing that kid? No. Yeah. Killing, yes. Yeah. Because they're names. Wait, wait, see, that's, that's the problem. You can kill millions of people in your movie if they have no names. But as yeah. soon as you give them names, it's harder to kill them. Right. You know? Kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. So, um, I, again, another oper- another instance of the authorities being completely wrong, saying Hedra only comes out when it's uh, dark or cloudy and it attacks in a uh, perfectly sunny day. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into this, but in the strange days in which we live, the idea that authorities tell us one thing and then it's completely wrong and then reverse course, that seems really on the on on point right now in 2020 as we're recording this, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I will go I will go no further. But uh, but Hedra has changed form into a flying stingray like monster and uh, flies around emitting poisonous sulfuric gas that corrodes all metal and decays humans into corroded skeletons. Uh, and, uh, as the, um, and then at the same time, we also see a ground Hedra swallowing up cars because we've already established that there's more than one Hedra and that they will combine. That's what the professor was showing us in the lab. So we have the air Hedra spewing out sul- uh, sulfuric acid which if you remember your, uh, you know, 10th grade uh, or 11th grade chemistry class, you know, that's bad. <laughs> and, and the other guy's sucking up all the, the, the cars, which are all, again, internal combustion engines. They're producing carbon monoxide, so he's gladly eating them all up. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, so God, Godzilla shows up, and they, uh, they, they tangle for a little bit here. The great, great bit of character acting from Haru Nakajima when the uh, the the flying Hedra doesn't can't really tangle with Godzilla because it's just a it's just an inanimated puppet, but as it flies by, Godzilla grabs his throat and falls down. So even Godzilla can't breathe in the environment that Hedra is creating with the sulfuric acid gas. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's it shows that Godzilla is not yeah impervious to this. Yeah. Which is important. Right. But I I again just a little bit of suit acting, and it's like again like you were saying, Godzilla can't talk, but we know everything we need to know from that that little bit of acting, him grabbing his throat, the universal sign that I can't breathe. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then the the Hedra flies around, and uh, we see it. Uh, um, the guy actually jumps to his death, which is a bit. It's like yikes! I guess that's a better death than being corroded by the uh, sulfuric acid. Uh, then of course he still gets it. So. Yeah, he still gets it, but he's dead by that point. But yeah, we see people being dissolved by the sulfuric acid. And uh, again, when I watched this with my sons, they were a little taken aback by that. You know, not ex- after we just watched, you know. All monsters attack Godzilla's revenge, where it's like fun, happy-go-lucky adventures, where we have miss, you know, bumbling thieves. It's like, oh, now people dying in the street. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, that yeah. stupid kids movie with the smog monster, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly, and that's how it, and that's that's how people remember these. Oh, it was just a, some just kids movie. This is so not a kids movie. No. I mean, it, you know, is but it's not, you know, kind of thing. But right. um, and this one's got a lot of a lot of message to it. Yeah. So we, so we also see uh, the the Dr. Yano's wife, Yoshi, where she is, or Toshi, she is uh, running the school where they're doing the calisthenics and all of her students begin choking and, and uh, can't breathe and she has to rush them all inside. So even even she is not, you know, even the, the, the loving mom and, and uh, wife, not impervious to anything Hedra is doing in this. Um, the, again, the, the uh, we get the next bit of the last bit of animation and again 2020 called and it's interested and would like to see more of your literature where yes the the hedra is simply floating in uh, in the sky holding a sign that says anti hedra oxygen mass for sale and everyone <laughs> is walking around wearing masks and it's like oh boy oh boy you know and uh, the only thing i could think with this is that you know, we, we, we've heard about this talked about during the, the current the current situation that this is going to be. And I, I, I normally I really don't like this term, but oh, this is our new normal. And I, that yeah. that term really bugs me because it's if it's normal, it's not new. That's there's the, the term normal means something more than what you're using it as in that term. But everyone just walking around wearing gas masks. Doesn't that just scream at that same concept, the new normal? It's like, well, we're not going to do anything to stop Hedra, but we have to wear these masks so we can go about shopping and doing everything yes. we want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because you and I had talked about this uh, long before any of this other stuff even started happening. So yeah. uh, doing, you know, you know, uh, Godzilla versus Smogmarsh or Godzilla versus, you know, Hedra. Uh, we talked about like, well, you know, what, let's do, that'd be a good twenty. We do that next year. It makes sense, and you know, trying to get back to doing, you know, things, you know, kind of because you know, there's a lot of bouncing around and stuff that you do as you go through, you know, right. talking to Ultraman and whatever kind of thing. And this was discussions we had, you know, long before yes. one said we're gonna be wearing a mask. You yeah. know, well, that, yeah, that, you're just a peek behind the curtain. The yeah. lineup for this show has gotten jiggered around a few times because of Godzilla versus Kong moving so many times. Yes. So, yes. but yeah, so we had discussions for this long before the idea of, oh, I've got to, I've got to run to the store. Let me get my mask became yeah. just everyday conversation. And, and again, this, this animation is the creepiest one of all, where the two women walk past each other, turn and their faces are eroded off. Uh, and again, that's, that's just, 
it, if we do nothing and we accept Hedra as our, you know, again, air quotes up to the mic, new normal, this is what we have to look forward to. So again, yep. not, and, and then rapid fire information, we're getting hit with one thing after another. Uh, and, and we just keep moving forward with the forward momentum. Yeah. So, um, okay. So Ken suggests that they could try to dry Hedra out. And Dr. Gano develops a pair of giant electrodes to electrically dry up the smog monster. Meanwhile, Yukio arranges a Woodstock-style music festival on Mount Fuji to protest pollution. He invites all the, quote, hip kids so they can show that the one place where there is no pollution is in their hearts. Yukio and his friends sing and dance on the mountainside until Godzilla shows up to confront Hedra. Um, okay, another scene where Bano has nothing nice to say about the young generation in Japan. Where but it also yeah, and we also get the what do you call there? You also get the the kid having the vision. Godzilla's yes. contact. He's here, and I'm like, this is why we all know. Like it's like that's why you feel like yeah, they got a connection because it's not like he's saying, I have a feeling, or Godzilla's talking to me. He was like, I saw God. he he like goes out of the moment. Yeah, and he's having a connection with Godzilla, and then back in like, oh, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, see the way that I, so this this scene I remember being I remember reading about this um, back in the old days of the Kaiju Review fanzine, the uh, uh, much missed beloved old fanzine that I used to subscribe to. Um, the idea that you, cause you have the young generation having their, their freak out. Right. And then you've got the older uh, generation that's just watching them from the, the fringes and it's this yes. obvious generational gap. Um, but unlike we might see in a Western movie where the idea of, Oh, well, if we, if we love hard enough, we can change the world. No, that doesn't happen. All of them are dead. All of yes. them end up in dead in the next scene that we'll get to in a minute. Um, but the, uh, but it's, it's almost with the, like I said, the ineffectual work of the younger generation. And then, like you said, the connection between Ken and Godzilla, I think the way I'm interpreting this and I'm, again, I could be totally off, but it's almost as if Bano's saying it's like this current young generation, this generation of young people, they're done. They, they, yeah. they offer us nothing. It's going to be to you guys, you kids in the audience, your generation is going to have to fix this because my yeah. generation is not, is not up to the task, you know? And, right. and, and the generation after mine is not, it's you guys, you're going to have to fix this. And so that's why Ken has this connection with, you know, that with Godzilla who's the most powerful force that, that it's, yeah. the, that, you know, and, uh, and again, that's, you're right. And, and there's a great little like wizard of Oz bit here where at the beginning when they're on it, it's, it's in like a sepia tone. And mm -hmm. then he strums the guitar and suddenly it's in color. Yeah. Uh, when, uh, it was funny. I was watching this the other day and my daughter came in and she goes, wasn't this movie in color last time I was here? And I'm like, give it a sec, give it a sec. And there it goes. She's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I tend to, it's again, like James Bond, I tend to notice things like that, whether a girl has red hair or has, has uh, uh, brown hair or blonde hair. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that the scene on the mountain, though, it really reeks of, um, I mean, even as a kid, you kind of get on the nose like, oh, this ain't going to work. Yeah. Like, what do they think is going to happen? Like, man, how dumb are they? Right. You know, kind of thing. It's not like they're, it's not like in, um, uh, is that Monster Zero or, uh, is it King, is it King Ghidorah? I'm trying to remember which one it is, where the, 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 the kids are up on the mountain and they have to, uh, you know, they, they, they're up on the mountain and they. Oh, that's, yes, have, that's, um, but they have to go save the kids. That's, that's, uh, that's Mother versus Godzilla. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. The, kid, the, the kids and the teacher are trapped on the island. 
because yes. the boat yeah, can't yeah. go back to get them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, what about the children? You know, kind of thing. And it's like, okay, they weren't doing this to like, in spite of Godzilla, they just were no. in the wrong place at the wrong time. They're purposely saying, hey, it li- okay. In Independence Day, when they go to the top of the hotel and they have the thing and it says, like, welcome, we want you. And it kills all of them because yeah. we're not here to save you. I, I, I always feel like in these movies, I feel like Viggo Mortensen in Prophecy, you know, yeah. when he says, uh, you know, uh, she, says, oh, she says, Jesus Christ. He goes, I don't love you. I always feel like, <laughs> you know, I always point this, like, I don't love you. You know, kind of thing. Like, it's what it is. You know, it's, it's just that little bit. You know? Yeah. I mean, the, um, yeah. And the thing, I, I actually uh, jumped over this. There was a great bit, again, more kind of uh, experimental filmmaking where we get, first off, we get a we get a, 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 a news talking head literally saying the bodies are piling up in the streets. Boy, them, <laughs> them kids movies, them Godzilla kids movies, boy. Oh, good quality, charming kids entertainment. Yeah. But uh, then, the, the ta- the, then they have the, the talking heads news and the guy says, well, you know, if Hedra... Uh, consumes polluted air, maybe pure oxygen can hurt him. And then everyone immediately starts screaming that oxygen can kill him. And it's all the talking heads and the blaming and the finger pointing and the kid crying in the slime. And again, it's like this, and this is back in 1971 when you had four channels. This is not, you know, where we are now with them, you know, to, to shout out our good friend, Bob Hansen, the mass media massacre, where it's, it's every bit of information screamed from every angle and every, uh, every bit of spin in any direction you could want all at once. And and again, but it still plays. You could you understand exactly what the point of this collage scene is. It all just becomes so much noise and uh, visual noise that it just becomes flashing lights at the end of it, too. Yeah. It, 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 you can't even, you know, it, it's too much information to make any sense. So it's just it's just noise. So, again, I, I mean, you know, again, I, I understand why Tanaka was not happy, but man, Bano does some interesting stuff in this, you know? He really does. <laughs> yeah. And again, it, it's hard when, so, I mean, because we've all heard that, those kind of things, like, where, like, like someone, whoever is running, like, let's say Roger Corman's running, like, uh, there was a, um, Up From the Depths or whatever that, whatever that one, where he sent, he, he sent them off basically to make, uh, uh, a Jaws ripoff movie, and they come back with this comedy, and he like cuts it down by 31 minutes, and then put, edits in like serious stuff. But like, like you know, it's sometimes you get something back that might not be what you're thinking you're going to get. Now, obviously, it's yeah. not what the you know, here they didn't edit this movie way down, but it's like they did. They're like they, you know, up to this point, you have not got a Godzilla movie like this, you know, kind yeah. of things. Yeah. And you don't get one after well, one. No, you don't get one like this for a while, yeah. Until. Uh, um... I mean, to me, Shin Godzilla really yeah, is the closest, okay. you know. I, I agree insofar as, uh, as, first off, to me, it's a satirical tone and the way that the ineffectual, the, 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 the ineffectual uh, nature of everyone in authority in both of those films. Yes. Because, and it's <laughs> the same idea in Shin Godzilla that it's the younger generation that has to bail out the older one. Yes. You know? Yeah. Now, in Shin Godzilla, that that generation is a little bit older. It's the it's the it's basically the the same age as the hippie generation in this film. It's yes. not the kids like Bano is saying, but it's the same idea, right? That you're yeah. you're so bogged down in the way this is the way we've always done things that you can't see that 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 the situation has changed, and that you yeah. can't need you know. I, it's one of my favorite memes. Modern problems require modern solutions, and yes. and that's exactly what this movie is. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I, I find ways to work that into things that it's like, what I didn't believe. Like, why'd you go there, Luke? It's like, I just love the meme. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. But, uh, <laughs> uh so, uh, so, so, uh, so as you say, Ken gets the vision that Godzilla is there. Hedra and Godzilla are there. Um, so Yukio out of nowhere claims that Hedra is afraid of fire and leads the other hippies in throwing torches at Hedra as the ridiculously tiny torches fall helplessly at the feet of the monster. Hedra turns and kills most of the kids. Yep. And it's like, again, if uh, there to me, there is no more of a more, more sky scathing indictment of the ineffectualness of that, that generation, for lack of a better term, the hippie movement generation than right here. Yep. It's like you, you had a party, your party didn't save the day. You decide to just attack the problem with something that you have, you know, you just think, oh, maybe this will work. And then you're all killed and you've, yep. you've accomplished nothing. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. You've done nothing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Even Godzilla seems powerless against a giant pile of sludge. Hedra puts out one of Godzilla's eyes with a ball of smoking goo. In revenge, Godzilla plunges his fist through one of Hedra's eyes. So we start getting into the very, very long uh, final fight here. Yes. And this this scene, to me, is the, um, this is the one that really now I appreciate so much more, just because you can see it better. The detail that comes out in this scene that was lost on the VHS because it's just so dark. Um, Godzilla's eye being wounded and actually now we can actually see the fact that his eye is closed up and wounded for the rest of the movie. Yep. Um, and then his hand, his hand is a real telling one. He tries again to punch through Hedra and basically the, the, the flesh is burned off his hand and his hand is, is partially skeletal for the rest of the film. And it's like, that is again, just such a striking image that something could hurt Godzilla in that way. The last time we saw Godzilla's skeleton was the oxygen destroyer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, obviously this, this puts over Hedra as this really big threat, you know, that he can, he can do this type of damage to Godzilla without even really trying, frankly, you know, it's just his, his whole nature is alien to existing on earth. So. Right. Oh no. Yeah. And it definitely, you, when you couldn't see the skeletal hand, yeah. you know, it, didn't work as i don't think it worked as well you're like okay well, what's wrong with his hand like it's just you know the goo on it messed up now seeing you're like oh yep. oh i get that <laughs> kind of thing yeah yeah so. the um yeah the, this like i said this whole bit it's it's a pretty long sequence that this takes up it's it's almost a whole third act basically but uh it's it it moves in a lot of different directions and i i do like it now um so let's see so okay so the army arrives hoping that canisters of pure oxygen will prove to be lethal to a creature that consumes poisoned air. The oxygen bombs fall, or excuse me, the oxygen bombs fail, and Hedra destroys the army helicopters, which is, is pretty amusing. <laughs> uh, Dr. Yano arrives to oversee the installation of his giant electrodes, but when Godzilla and Hedra tumble down the mountainside in battle, they knock out the power lines and cut the power. Um, so before, and before we get to the next part, that fight with them is, is pretty neat where um, we there, there's two scenes in general that, that stand out to me. One of them is a shot. It's sort of like from the professor's PO or the, the doctor's POV where we see him looking and the monsters are far away. And we just see kind of the effects of the battle where we see Godzilla's beam and uh, 
Hedra's red eye beam kind of flashing back and forth with little explosions, but we can't really see the details because they're like in, implied to be miles away. I thought that was a pretty creative shot. And I think you'd agree that's one again. Uh, you don't have the money to do that shot. Let's put it, let's put it really far away, and then we don't have to see detail. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's you you don't want to expose things, and there's no point in shooting it poorly. It, the best part's to just kind of make it work the best it can in the film. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The the other shot is Hedra actually picks Godzilla up um and flies with him in his flying form and then drops him into a pit and then for all intents and purposes tries to do the horde slime pit move on him. Yes. So <laughs> So yeah. Mattel, there you go, right there. Every I mean, Toho, make us a Godzilla Hedra slime pit toy with uh, <laughs> canisters of slime compound and we'll be in business. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. Unsurprisingly, one of the Masters of the Universe toys we didn't have was slime. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Dad didn't see that as fit as one for us to get. You know, Especially kind of thing. with the shag carpet that we had around that time, yes. too. Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, so the, the Hedra walks into Yano's trap, but they have no power to turn on the electrodes. Humanity's last chance has come and gone. Suddenly, Godzilla fires his atomic ray to power the electrodes, drying Hedra out. And uh, we actually, he, he does in fact start tearing Hedra apart here, but because as we know, there are multiple Hedras merged together, one Hedra gets out and starts fleeing, causing Godzilla to tuck his tail between his legs and fly through the air. <laughs> Now this one I'll grant you that that those those crazy Godzilla kids movies right here, um, this this scene is is just insane, you know. Yeah. And from you know it's it's funny that this again I've I've read that uh, uh, Nakano that he's you know they're doing a fairly serious movie and they're talking about death toll and and all this slime and sludge and that there was this feeling that he was kind of getting tired of doing all this dark stuff and he wanted something to do something kind of kind of fun. And so originally, supposedly this bit was not originally in the script. And you can kind of see because this does kind of repeat itself where Hedra's getting zapped with the electrodes and then he escapes and Godzilla catches him and brings him back and they start zapping him again. So it's almost as if, yeah, you could see where this is can be cut out. Right. But apparently Bano liked the idea. And I think, again, this gets back to what we were saying that Godzilla is the pre-crisis Superman. Um, you know, Superman needs a new power to resolve this story. It's like, well, pre-crisis, we could probably just come up with one. It's like, Godzilla needs a new power to catch Hedra. Sure, Godzilla can fly. He's he's a Superman, after all. Yeah. It's, uh... It, to me, stands out as being... Out of all the stuff that happens in, in this fight, it's the thing that looks wrong. I'm not saying wrong, but... It, like, it looks it, comical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks tacked on. Right. Thing. Like, like, you know, like this was an afterthought. So, but right. It uh, works though, still. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's famous or infamous yeah. depending on how you want to look at it. But yeah. you know, again, to me, it, it, it suits the idea of really Godzilla as the superhero monster here is that he can, he can do whatever he needs to do and that he keeps, you know, he's, I mean, he, he'll do the same thing as far as creating powers later on in the seventies. Um, and Mech, uh, Godzilla vs. Mech Godzilla springs to mind immediately. And that one doesn't seem to get, I mean, that one obviously looks a little bit cooler than this. So it's got that going for it, but you know, I'm, I'm again, as a comic book fan, I'm, I'm willing to let it go. 
you know. It's, and and plus, it, it's a neat visual. It all it does remind me with Godzilla with his tail tucked up between his legs when the Exians pull him out of Lake Ashino in, in Monster Zero. <laughs> no idea if that was intentional. Maybe they just had the prop. I don't know. But uh, uh, so uh, let's see. Uh, Hedra proves very difficult to kill. And when at last the space monster has been completely destroyed, torn to bits, and burnt to dust, Godzilla turns malevolently towards the humans as if warning, don't make me come after you next. Then he turns away and returns to Monster Island through enough sludge and waste to make many more Hedras. And that is the end of our story. So this, um, again, we're, we're still in kind of the, the final fight here. Um, Godzilla picking up Hedra and slamming him by his tail would become kind of a recurring theme for uh, Nakano's films. He does this several times in the 70s. I guess they had a, a pretty good setup, the way that they could rig suits for this to work, uh, because the same thing happens to uh, to Megalon. The same thing will then happen to uh, Anguirus in uh, Godzilla vs. Mechgodzilla. So uh, this happens a couple of times. So it's uh, neat to see it here with Hedra. Um, but, um, you know... But really, the thing here is that it's it's more of the the military getting their their turn to be skewered by Bano, and that they they have literally one job and they can't do it. They finally get the, the things working, you know, long after it would be any good to actually get the electrodes working, and they turn it on and it immediately fails. Yep. So uh, Godzilla actually kind of looks at the camera and shakes his head a little bit at that point too, which again, great <laughs> bit from his. It's, you know, he's almost like. Uh, um, like Arsenio Hall in uh, Amazon Women on the Moon. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of that movie right there. So. There ain't no Thelma here, man. You know? <laughs> uh, we'll leave it at that. We'll let folks go look that one up. Yeah, uh, uh, most rest of the words said that scene we can't say here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The, the thing is, the, the whole thing with the fight there, it makes, I mean, it makes sense. You, you, you can't kill it the normal way. You can't just rip it apart. You can't just shoot it with the beam, but, you know, drawing it out, it's like, oh, once he sees this works, let's hit this thing, you know, kind of thing, and it just, uh, you know, I'm glad that, it, you know, I mean, again, as much as, you know, Godzilla, and you know, gets a new power kind of thing, whatever, and be able to do something, it, the, the, at least the, the way they dispense with Hedra is logical in the, in the sense of the movie. Yes. You know, kind of thing, like, you gotta dry this out, so he's like, okay, so you're gonna get, you know, trying to it's alien. You just can't shoot it. You can't, you know, whatever. So, you know, all right, that makes sense. At least drawing it out made sense in the yeah. grand scheme of what they were doing. Well, you know, you referred earlier to the blob and in the blob, they have to freeze it, you know, to get it to, because again, the, to, you can't hurt it in a traditional way because it's an alien, unlike, you know, a regular carbon based life form, kind of the same idea here. They have to do yeah. something that, out of the box they can't you rely on you can't rely on the old solutions you need a new solution right so so i do like that the um godzilla staring down the humans is great you know I, i've talked about this on on both on this show and on other shows but since the first godzilla movie i saw was godzilla king of the monsters from 1956 i've always even when godzilla was a hero it's always this idea that deep down people realize that yeah if godzilla wanted to he could destroy the entire world and that let's just make sure that we keep him on our good side and we don't piss him off too much. And that's what I get here where he's like, do you get it yet? It's almost as if that's him, you know, yeah. You know, like 
It's like, are we on board now? You know, it's like, I'm, I don't want to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm yeah. Like, or, yeah. or, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, then, uh, you know, Godzilla just walks off and, uh, we get the, the sad version of return the sun being played or the sad version of save the earth, if you prefer. Um, and I, again, even as we get Ken saying farewell, which, uh, you know, again, very common ending for characters to say goodbye at the end of a, a Godzilla film, usually the twin fairies or whoever waving goodbye. Um, but everything is still polluted. It's the same exact shots from the beginning of the polluted bay. Mm-hmm. So even though, yeah, Godzilla killed Hedra, and then there's the tease, will there be another? And like, well, and, and you made reference to this, and we can talk about that in a second. It's again, it's the idea that there's not some superhuman force is going to ca- come and fix your problems for you. That you need to change your behavior to fix this problem. It's like, yes, in this story, Godzilla killed Hedra, but there's, you know, it's like there will be something even worse coming if you don't change your ways. It's like the Ebenezer Scrooge ending here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I tell you, you know, having having now no, not seen this movie all the way through for a while and I'm getting, having to watch it now they're all restored and looking great as you know kind of thing um it kind of makes me have a different appreciation for it it may not have been one of my favorites of all time uh, um in all fairness I, I i i am a little partial to, to titanosaurus yeah. i do love him <laughs> um i wish there was a movie where titanosaurus fought mecha kong but uh, okay um, or, you know kind of thing mechanic kong there yeah the subtitle um, is the movie for jay Yes. Uh, it's even cool if, like, the War of the Gargantua was kind of were there, too. But it's, you know, whatever. You know, I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I have something to say, but I can't say it. This is uh, family-friendly. Uh, you know, kind of thing. Um, so the idea, though, is that it, it gives you, you know, a little more appreciation for what was happening in the, you know, the film and what the, the filmmaker was trying to say. And, you know, again, as it stands out as totally being a different type of movie, uh, it stands out because it's different. You know, it's right. not the cutter. It's not the same thing. It's not just Godzilla fighting another creature from space, which is done the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again, I, I like it a lot, it, you know, in that it's, it's has something to say. The message is there. It is not obviously one of my favorite Godzilla movies of all time. I mean, I, I mean, I think why we've, we've talked about this. I love, I, mean, I love Godzilla versus destroyer, uh, yes. you know, versus Bilanti. I mean, those things, I mean, again, different type of filmmaking and that the, the effects in those movies are just totally different than they are here. Um, so the idea though, is that, uh, um, for, for considering when the movie was made 40, whatever years ago, kind of thing, you know, almost, right. almost 50 years ago, kind of thing, right. uh, that the, you know, the effects look, uh, look good for the time. It's, it's different. I mean, some people have said like, well, you know, his, you know, Hedra's eyes clearly just have lights behind them and the red lens is like, okay. Like, you know, literally, yeah. you know, like I, I can, I can poke holes in any great movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I can poke holes in that movie, but I'm not going to because why, right. what's the point of it? You know, what, what does that accomplish? Yeah. You know, if, if you want to talk about like, you know, you didn't like, the fact that it had more of a message or maybe whatever, that's, that's a different, you know, argument than poking holes in what the creature might look like or poking right. holes in whatever. Um, and I think the having the, having the creature change forms was something that later on we see um, in, was that Godzilla 2000, right? Is that where? The- yes. Where Orga, yeah. Orga changes. Orga goes from being the ship to the millennium to Orga in, in the course yes. of that film. Yeah. 
Right. And, you know, it's something we saw. I mean, we would see later on, obviously, uh, you know, not to keep bringing things up, but we see that in Shin Godzilla where it changes. Yeah. You know, we, or even we, even even uh, Biolanti would uh, yes. would change forms throughout the film as well. And, yeah. and become more, uh, essentially, more gruesome as she goes, right? So, But think about that. Godzilla versus Violante is regarded as, like, you know, all to, like one people remember very fondly. Yes. And this movie is not. And mm-hmm. and you wonder, like, why? And you think, mm-hmm. like, okay, but Godzilla versus Violante, at its core, yes, it does have some different things in it, but it's kind of the stock and trade Godzilla. You know, in a, yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, in, in a lot of ways, Biolanti is kind of the, uh, the, 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 the blueprint for what the Heisei films would be kind of the way that that story is laid out. And, uh, and you're right. Yeah. There's why, why is, yeah. But it's, and, but from a visual standpoint, from an effect standpoint. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. very much in line with the other Heisei films. Yeah. yeah. So no, but you, I think you're, I think you're right. Why is, why is a film like Biolanti? Which does have, I mean, I was actually, I was, I was talking to my son about this, the idea of, cause we haven't gotten there yet. We're, uh, we, the last Godzilla film we watched actually was this one. So we're, we're still in the Showa era. We've been watching them in order. Mm-hmm. And, but we were talking about Biolanti and I said, it's the idea of, you know, that I said, there are different themes in that from a scientific standpoint, the theme is about, do we have the right to tamper in, for lack of a better term, to use a Western term, tampering in God's domain. You know, because that movie's about uh, you know genetic engineering and bioengineering, and you know, do we have the right to play God and create life? I said it's 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 the idea of of science going too far, whereas this film is is obviously about industry going about outpacing and not being responsible in the way that we advance. So it has a similar theme. They are not responsible in the way that they advance the technology that they're using. Right. But why why is why is one regarded as uh, uh, in, in one light and one regarded in the other. And I think you're right. I think the fact that Bano created a film that is unique and stands out and visually is different from everything before or after it, I think it turns some people off. You know, we've, we've, I, I made kind of a sideways reference to this in the last, I'd say two and a half to three years, we've seen, I mean, just some outright, you know, really nasty fan stuff in the Daikaiju community online about what people want from the movies. Do they want, some people really want that, that story and the, the human aspect. Some people really want the, the, uh, the, the more fanish side, the, the, the monster side of it. And neither one is wrong because you really need both sides. But the, the vitriol and the venom that we saw on both sides of this, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not taking a side in that fight. But, you know, I, I you know, but the, the fact that we saw the, the vitriolic response on both sides of that argument goes to show why a film like this is so polarizing, because you look this film on its surface as just a, a monster mash. And it's like, this film is freaking weird, man. I don't want to watch this. There's, there's animated parts in this. There's like yeah. a psychedelic song. What is, it doesn't make any sense. But then yeah. you watch it from your side. It's like, well, you see what Bano is trying to say here, guys. You know, it's very clear in the context, and and there, you have to you have to be in the middle, right? You've got to accept both sides of this film if if you're going to get an appreciation. Because I'm with you. This was never one of my favorites growing up, and even even lately, it it you know even as an adult, it's like I no, I, I get it. It's not really my thing. I've really come to I've watched it now twice in the last probably three months, and I've really come to appreciate it more between 
watching it and then doing my research and reading the different books and, and interviews and such that I've read, I've really come to appreciate it and appreciate Bano doing something different, you know, and not doing the same thing that had been making Toho admittedly less money. Uh, you know, the, the, the box offices kept declining. This one went up a little bit, but it was not back to the, you know, the, the really the, the big hits of the early 60s. But, uh, you know, you got to give the guy credit. He had an idea. He had a vision and he executed it. Yeah. And, and that's there's something to be said for that, even if and, and I and I, I want to be clear here, even if it may not make a film that is commercially what you want. As in, you know, if we talk, we, you and I talk about this all the time. Film is neither 100% commercial nor 100% artistic. There, there are, you know, even the most arty art house director wants their film to make money. And even the most commercial, crass, pump them out, churn them out, Hollywood hack has something to say in their film, you know? Right. And, and this, this film is, to me, it falls more on the, the arty side than the commercial side, but I'm not going to fault a filmmaker for telling the story they want to tell, you know? Yeah, it's, it's okay. So, uh, and I, again, I don't want to derail everything, but we're saying in the wrestling world, we have very people who like very different things. Right. Um, and then some of us just enjoy the fact that we're watching wrestling and we appreciate different aspects of things. Um, right. There are fans who will only want to watch strong style matches. And then there's fans who only want to watch Lucha Libre. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, could those be any further apart, Luke? No, no. For, well, I mean, if you don't know what strong style and whatever are, but you can look those up. They could not be any further different. I love both of them, mm-hmm. right? Because they give me different things. They give me different things. When I watch Lucha Libre, it gives me something different than when I watch a strong style match. You know, right. kind of thing. It's different. Um, and neither, none of those are the WWE product or kind of thing. That's not the you know mainstream American product that you get. It's the different kind of stuff. If you watch Godzilla movies because you need that to change your life, again, maybe you are looking for the wrong thing. I'm not saying you're wrong, but maybe you're looking for something that might not be there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's hard. Dad and I talk about this on a lot with, with the Boss Bugs and Babes. We people people have accused Dad and I again of being harsh on certain movies, Cleopatra, um, who and uh, twenty two thousand one Space Odyssey um, <laughs> that we don't necessarily like, but we don't say is it's we don't like those movies. It doesn't mean you have to not like those movies. Yes. You're welcome to enjoy them, and some people really truly do. But by the same token, somebody out there probably thinks that uh, the the Vampire Lovers is the best movie ever made. And Dad and I kind of felt that, like, hey, we watched this movie, and the same movie happened twice to kind of pay out the film. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just what it is. It's Everything has to be, there's there's different things. And it may be not, maybe this movie doesn't speak to you as a Godzilla fan. Um, and maybe it does because it's the one that's different, you know, kind of thing. I think also it has to do with your age when you saw it, you know, kind of thing. Is, I mean, somebody, this is someone's favorite movie. You know, kind of thing. There's someone who's like, this is my absolute favorite movie, you know, mm-hmm. and that totally could be possible that someone saw this at the right age where they were like, you know, maybe they were, uh, you know, old enough as a kid to kind of get some of the message, but not, you know, quite, you know, in the point where they were kind of a hippie and whatever else. And maybe this spoke to them. I don't know. Yeah. I, I was, was going to say there, I, I, I'm sure that there is someone out there who now 
considers himself a, a, a hardline green and that this film had some influence on that. I, I, there, there must be. There, there's, this film was too ubiquitous in the 70s for it not to be, you know? Right, exactly. So I mean, like I said, I, I I definitely enjoyed rewatching this, and uh, and 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 I I think I have a much better view of it now, having rewatched, especially that Criterion edition, which just looks so nice, and you can really see visually a lot of the stuff that that Bano was going for. That even on the DVD, as clean as that was, that just seeing it in that really beautiful presentation uh, really really helps it. You know, such a visual film to to get such a nice uh, visual presentation. Um, now you made reference to this and, uh, and, um, uh, but Bano was <laughs> the way that I've seen it put is that Bano was so enamored with his creation of Hedra that he wanted to do a sequel. And yeah. the, the one that I have heard is that he wanted to do a sequel set in Africa and to see the, uh, the, the unspoiled Savannah of Africa being destroyed by a new version of Hedra. That uh, I've heard different, uh, that there's some that it might have resembled more of a starfish this time out. I guess we're supposed to call him a sea star now, right? A, a kinoderm. Um, that, uh, or that it would have been more like traditional hedra, but there's, it never really got too far developed because, like I said, Tanaka was not about to allow Bano to make another Godzilla movie after, uh, you know, he was so dissatisfied with this one. But it's one of those, it's one of the, we, we always talk about the what if machine, right? And what if they had done another Hedra movie? What would that have looked like? Yeah. The the one, the thing is that, um, the other thing was that the next movie in was supposed to be Godzilla versus Red Moon. Um, at least that's what it's rumored to have been. But then yes. that was scrapped. And that became, what is this, uh, Digorio versus Goliath? I'm not sure what that even is. Di- Di- yeah, Diagoro versus Goliath, which is, a, which is a children's movie, actually. Oh, okay. So yes. I've, never, I've never heard of it. Yeah, um, that one I don't, I, I do not believe, I sound like Eric Bischoff, I don't recall. I do not believe that that was, uh, Meltzer said what? What? No, sorry. Uh, the uh, I I do not believe that one was ever officially released in the United States. I don't. Yeah. I, I assume there must be an international du- or subtitle of it somewhere, but I don't think it ever got released over here. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I wonder if Bano was supposed to be in line to direct that, but then that got scrapped and then got you know made there. Then they talked about doing Godzilla versus the Space Monsters Earth Defensive Directive. Uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, but this was well, uh, okay. But then they they, they they took that, and then they talked about doing the return of King Ghidorah. Yes. And then later, eventually, did Godzilla versus Gigan instead. So it's kind yes. of funny. Like you're wondering, was Bano, if this had been a hit, and they and the studio had liked it, would Bano then have been on? Would we have then? Would we have not gotten Godzilla versus uh, uh, Gigan? Would we have, would we yeah. have gotten Godzilla versus Red Moon. Red Moon. Um, well, yeah. Would what what. Yeah, what would we have gotten? That's right. That's the what if because the the rationale for both Earth Destruction Directive, which is where the title of this show comes from, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to covering Godzilla versus Gigan so I can talk about the fact that that's where the title of this podcast comes from. But both that and Return of King Ghidorah were they were both presented as an idea of let's get this series back on track. Let's bring back King Ghidorah, who's the most popular villain. Let's get some monsters in here. Let's get an alien invasion plot. Let's make a science fiction movie to make some money. That was yeah. that was the plan. And that led, eventually, to Godzilla vs. Uh, Gigan, 
um, with now, of course, that the production of that film is a whole other thing because of, uh, you know, severely limited budgets and that necessitating the use of all the stock footage and, and all that. So that that is a topic for for a different episode. But you're right. Had had this been a breakout hit, let's say this one was like, you know, Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla money for Toho, you know, like big money. What would they have done? Would they have greenlit? Um, you know, Bano's idea for a sequel, would they have done, you know, would they have still gone ahead and done a film like Return of King Ghidorah, where it was more of a traditional monster mash? Would Bano have wanted to do that? Or would he have said, you know what, I want to make this, I want to make this Nostradamus movie instead. Right. You know, it's, 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 uh, there's a lot of things because, uh, like I said, reading about his, you know, reading about his personal professional history, Yoshimitsu Bano was something of a of a of a you know a, a a a golden boy at that point. He had done some stuff that really impressed a lot of people, and that was visually striking, and you know really got a lot of people excited. And then they just didn't really care for what he ended up doing because it was it was almost like it's like you know that's okay if you're not doing it on our bread and butter franchise. That's keeping the doors open here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like to, to continue the wrestling analogy. It's like I'm okay doing that stuff in an undercard match, but let's leave the main event alone. You know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah. you know, so it's, it's it. Go on. Or the, or the thing is too, you don't you don't want to put in the term you don't want to put a hat in the hat. You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like like if if you just made this movie, you don't want to make this movie again. Right. Right. You know, kind of thing. The thing like, hey, this one works, but we want to make this exact same film again. Just happen to be in Africa, and then how was Godzilla getting there? do we want to move it outside of Japan like that? Like they start asking those questions, you know, kind of thing. Like, you know, you, like it, it's, it's like, we just did this. You want to just do the same thing again, but now he looks a little different. Okay. But like, if it's, if it turns out to be the exact same film, what if this doesn't work, you know, kind of thing. It's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird to think that like I mean, how movies get made is beyond me. Sometimes. Like I really look at things going, well, that's a really good idea. Why'd that not get made into a movie? Well, da, 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 da. And you look at the thing that comes out, you're like, Okay, that was garbage. You thought that was better? You know, you ever you ever think yeah. you know, this beat out. You know, yeah. kind of thing. So, um, but yet again, literally the idea that uh, you know, a bus you know, goes over fifty miles an hour and it can't drop a load or explode seems ludicrous, but that movie was an insanely big, you know, uh, blockbuster. Right. You know, kind of thing. So I don't know. I mean, I, I what okay, would they have said to him, Okay, we're gonna make Godzilla versus Red Moon Right, and it's going to be this straight up, straight Godzilla movie, and he would have said no, and then be able to say no. I want to do Prophecy of Nostradamus, which he gets an assistant assistant director credit on. Right. Um, would he have done that? And they would have been like, okay, we'll just give it to somebody else, or would they have been like, okay, look, you know, this is what we want to do, but you can you can kind of put your spin on it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, right. yes, okay. I mean that's that's why it's the what if machine, right? You know, well, the thing is, I, I, is this. I agree because if you know, if uh, like you said, would would if if Bano says no, do they just give it to Jun Fukuda, who ended up directing Godzilla versus Gaigan in, in, in the end, yeah. and and just move on? I mean, Fukuda didn't particularly like those movies either. He wanted to make more serious movies also, but he also wanted to work. You know, so yes. we had that going on. <laughs> yeah. So that's that, that's that's one of the things I was saying. Like, you know, we we look back and we only have a limited number of Harryhausen movies. There's only a limited number of, you know, certain types of movies, right? The one thing about Godzilla, because it's it's the idea of the concept, like James Bond, they could make Godzilla movies forever, 
they could make James Bond movies forever. It's the character. It's not the, not a person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and and the thing is, and every one of them is part of the canon of movies, even though they don't necessarily all tie together. Right? But we only have so many movies made during a certain era. In the God, there is no lost Godzilla movie. There is no you know King Ghidorah Returns that we just haven't seen yet, but it's sitting in a vault somewhere. It was never shot and done. So we're not going to get more of them. So we can you know, we can kind of speculate and whatever. But when you look at what you have, you know, some people want to like, oh, I hate that, hate that. That's great, like you know, but like you're not going to get others of this. If yeah. you don't like that, that's fine. But at the end of the day, complaining about it is not going to make it any better, and they're not going to change anything. No, so doesn't change, it's doesn't like change anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this, um, you know, that's why I, I, you know, I, I, I try to stay positive on on this and look for parts of things that I like, even if it's something I don't didn't enjoy overall. Try and say, well, you know, I did like this part of it, or or this was a good idea. And and I'll and I'll be honest, I went into this not really knowing what I was going to say about this movie, other yeah. than you know some of the the the, the background stuff and that kind of the, the factual information. I didn't know what my feelings were going to be, and like I said, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I did enjoy watching it. Um, as, as a 40 year old, as opposed to watching it as, you know, a 10 year old or a 20 year old, you know, and, right. and just where I am in my life and where we are in the world, understanding that and understanding, um, or at least trying to understand Yoshimitsu Bano's, uh, motivation in, in the film. Uh, I think it, it, it comes out the better for it. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, that, and that's the thing, you know, that, I mean, you know, I, I, I say it all the time. It's from Phantom of the Paradise, which is my favorite film of all time. I know it was shocking. My favorite film of all time is not Godzilla. I have other interests, but, uh, <laughs> I'm not just that Godzilla guy, but you know, uh, Philbin says that a song is a song. You either dig it or you don't. And if this movie right. doesn't work for you, okay, no problem. We can talk about what works for me or works for you, or doesn't work for me, or doesn't work for you, and that's called communication. That's called criticism. You know, that that's called argument. That's okay. You know, I, I don't mind that. If you're saying, man, Hedra sucks. What does that really accomplish? You know? Right. <laughs> I, I, I remember we, we mentioned we mentioned Justice League earlier, and I, yeah. I remember saying something on a, on a board about Justice League, and the guy came up, and was like, this movie sucks. I said, thank you for your insightful comment. <laughs> That's again, isn't that the whole thing of it? Like, isn't that the idea? Like, they're literally, um, you're not allowed to say that you don't like certain movies because that's what the popular opinion is that everyone has to like this movie. And if you don't yeah. like it, you're like, Ugh, all right, fine, I'll just keep my mouth shut and just not like this movie. And I've yeah. been very vocal on Bots, Bugs, and Babes about the my disdain for the some of what Marvel, I like a lot of what Marvel does, but some of what Marvel does doesn't sit well with me because of just the way it's presented or the way it's done or the whatever kind of thing. Yes. And it's not saying that the DC movies are perfect because they're certainly not perfect, but I like grittier, darker, but that's my personal opinion. It doesn't mean it's everyone's opinion. Like right. I literally can't argue with the billions of dollars that they've no. made to say that they're wrong. I just say it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Right. But I don't have to go and shout someone down who says, Oh, I really like this, you know, yeah. or I would, and again, it's not. It's not that. I mean, if you literally are saying to me, Jay, you know, uh, I, I love the, the 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 Millennium Godzillas. That's the only ones I like. Okay, if you didn't like the other ones because whatever your reason is, that's your opinion. It's just that like that opinion doesn't necessarily mean that I can't enjoy them. 
Right. Yeah. You know, you know. I, I'm I'm perfectly willing, like I said, to to discuss differences of opinion because yeah. I have different life experience. You have different life experience. Everybody brings something different to the viewing. You know, and 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 I say this with comics all the time. I we we've been talking a lot about Marvel on this episode. I remember when Captain Marvel was coming out. The Marvel Captain Marvel, not the DC Captain Marvel, which is that those both came out within like a month of each other. You know, Captain Marvel and Shazam. That's so hilarious to me. But anyway, um, any more different than each other. Oh, my God. Yes. Two totally different movies also. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but in but in any event, the, the Marvel Captain Marvel, the Carol Danvers Captain Marvel. I remember when that was coming out and I've never really been a big fan of Carol Danvers. I just haven't really read a lot of her stuff. The only time I really read her was when she was in Kurt Busiek's uh, Avengers when she was Warbird. And I remember arguing or get somebody getting pretty hot with me on, on social media. It's like, well, what do you mean? You don't want to see this. It's like, look, if you're a member of the Carol Corps, you should be excited. I said in 2008, I was excited when my favorite hero, Iron Man got a movie. I said, yep. if you're, I said, one of my, one of my close comic friends, she got into comics because of the Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. I said, if, if you're part of that crew, by all means, please be excited for this movie. I hope this movie blows your socks off. I hope it's everything you want. Yeah. You know, and I hope it catapults the character to the next stratosphere. It's just not my scene. It's, it's not, it, it, your, your worth is not tied to the fact that you like this character. That's just one adjective that describes you my opinion of you doesn't change because you like this character or you like this movie or you like this, this, this band. My opinion of you is based on you. It's like, it's, it's okay. It's if it, we used to say that like in, in, in heavy metal, well, that's, that's not really my scene. You know, that version of, of whatever music you listen to. It's like, it's, that's fine. That's just not my scene. That wasn't an insult. It's just saying that's not where I'm at. And we've gotten so, away from that so much because now, especially on social media, which is the lowest common denominator of all communication, especially Twitter, where it's like the, the loudest voices dominate. And if you're not loud and screaming and being hateful towards other people's opinions, no one's going to listen to you. And it becomes very frustrating when all you want to do is like, look, I just it's like I'm not taking away from anything you're saying. If you're excited for that, I'm happy for you. Doesn't right. mean I need to be happy. Doesn't mean I need to be excited about it. I don't expect you to be excited about the stuff I want to see. You right. know, we can so, talk about why that is, yeah. but it's not. A, it's not a judgment. Okay. Yeah. So perfect example of this. There's a station on XM, and I know I'm getting weird here, but it's called Turbo, and it literally plays classic late uh, '90s and 2000s hard rock. Mm -hmm. On that channel, they play a lot of Disturbed, Godsmack, Stained, Shine Down. Slipknot, you know, bands, uh, see their bands I like. Yeah. Guarantee you, in any hour, they're going to play some Pantera. I'm not a fan of Pantera. I don't necessarily leave that channel on because I don't really enjoy those songs. They right. play Tool, not a fan of Tool. I don't, I, I don't leave it on. I put no switcher on the channels. I'll go to a different lithium. I'll go to the 80s channel, whatever, right? It's not that I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, start, pull the, jerk the car to the side of the road and start, you know, blasting turbo on twitter saying how dare you play pantera you know walk because i don't want to hear that song <laughs> right but there that's how people like well you, you should be doing no it, it it's all part of that it's okay it's okay not to like thing hey trust me you know it, it, whether you like that stuff or not it's it, it, you know if, if you don't enjoy something then don't don't sit there and just make yourself well i, I, I hate this so i have to watch it over and over again why yeah. Why are you doing that? It's, you know, it's, it's, you can't win fandom. 
Yeah, you you don't you don't get to proclaim that I win. You know, it's not like Starscream proclaiming himself the new leader and then getting punched in the face and shot in the next scene. That's that's not the way this works. I, I I saw someone on on Twitter that was talking about how certain groups of fans, and I won't get into the specifics because the specifics are not important, but certain groups of fans are only into Godzilla because they like buying toys, whereas this other group of fans does all the hard work in this fandom. And I was like, fandom's supposed to be hard work? I thought fandom meant I liked something, and I and derived pleasure from learning about it and, and experiencing it. See, that's what I thought it was. I didn't think that this was a job. I thought that my job was a job. Yeah. You know, not my, not my hobby. My hobby is a hobby. <laughs> now, that what? said, if someone out there would like to pay me to podcast about Godzilla, it can become my job. But yes. that's oh, what uh, I'm yeah. talking about right now. That, that's a different yeah. scenario. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. I, I, you, I mean, you, you and I have, you know, we're of the same mindset. We invite, we invite listeners to form your own opinions. Don't take our work for it. If you would like to watch Godzilla versus Hedro, you got a couple of options. We've talked about it a, a couple of times on this episode. The, uh, the Blu-ray or DVD from Section 23, Kraken Releasing, that is still available. That is on Amazon right now. I'm looking at it. The Blu-ray is $18. The DVD is $16. The only reason not to get the Blu-ray is you don't have a Blu-ray player. At the, I mean, for two bucks, right? Uh, that is a very good release. That is actually, that that is very creatively named. It actually has both the American title and the Japanese title. It's called Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, Godzilla versus Hedra. So if you search for either one, you should find that. Uh, now, if you'd like to go whole hog into the Showa, of course, the uh, Godzilla, the Showa era films, 1954-1975 Criterion Collection Blu-ray box is readily available. It is also on Amazon. I'm looking at it right now at a price of $112.49 with obviously free shipping. So um, so if you want to see Godzilla vs. Hedra, this movie is available out there. There was a while where the uh, the Sony DVD was actually out of print, and this was fairly tough to come across. Whereas now this one is still uh, uh, pretty easy to get your hands on if you would like to like to watch it. Um, I don't. I'm assuming. What's that? I was just looking to see if it was on Prime Video. That's what I was just going to ask you because and it is you, not. Yes, it is not. There's. Um, what are they on? HBO Max, I think, has all the Godzilla films right now. So yeah. I so believe it is available on HBO Max if you if you uh, subscribe to that service. Yeah, I'm just looking here. Because I just put in Godzilla verse and see what comes up. Um, again, see the thing is, uh, I have a number of them when they came out with uh, you know the digital copies and stuff like that. I have it all through Voodoo kind of thing, yeah. so I can watch. Them. So like I'm looking here, uh, Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monsters available. You can buy Final Wars Revenge. Right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of other ones on here. Yeah. Um, Invasion of the Astro Monsters. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I don't see it here. Godzilla yeah. vs. Space, Godzilla vs. Megalon. It's funny that it's not here because literally it's got Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, like almost yeah. every All the one. others around it, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it's tough because even though they are all made by the same company, they do have different licenses and stuff involved with them too, which has always been the odd thing about, about the series too. Even though they're all Toho, it's right. like, well, you know, this one was co-produced with Columbia, so they have this right, you know, that kind of thing comes up sometimes too. And the other issue becomes too is that um, certain movies, um, 
they don't go on and off of availability with Prime. Yes. Um, if you own the movie, then, you know, like, like I'm looking here, like it says King Kong. Well, I clearly own King Kong. Oh, and it's got checks as you purchased it because it's part of movies on it's movies anywhere and whatever kind of thing. And yeah. it all is all you know connected. Right. But certain movies go on and off availability. Right. And, and that's the thing, too, is that if you obviously if you own it, it's one thing and you don't have to worry about it being available or not because you're already paid for it. But um, that's why people are always like, well, it's on Netflix. I'll never have to buy this movie. And then all of a sudden the right. movie's off Netflix. Like, I can't watch it anymore. I'm like, all right, because yeah. I bought it and I can watch it forever. I, um, um, yeah, I mean, I recall this being a um, something of a crisis for a certain segment when Futurama left Netflix because yes. there was a whole whole group of people that got into Futurama as a rerun and watching it on Netflix. I watched Futurama when it aired. I was a every Sunday if Futurama was on watching Futurama. But and so I of course bought all the DVD sets as they came out. So it's like don't skin off my nose. You can come over to my house and watch Futurama if you want. But you know that's uh, I, I you know so it's like it it is it is that different mindset. Like I said, they're, they're not going to break into my house and steal my DVDs. They can try, but you know they're not going to do that. So so yeah, but it. It, it is available out there if you would like to uh, to check it out. So uh, I, I implore the listeners, what is your opinion of Godzilla versus Hedra? Are you a smog monster booster or are you a smog monster hater? All opinions are welcome. And if you can send those into Earth Destruction Directive at yahoo.com, or of course you can uh, leave a comment on the Facebook or hit me up on Twitter. All that information is in the, the outro to the show. Uh, Jay, thank you very much for coming in uh, to, to the uh, Earth Destruction Directive today and talking to me about uh, Godzilla versus Hedra. Very much appreciated. Why don't you give all the listeners a breakdown of where else they can find you on the internet? All right. So, uh, wherever you uh, got your uh, this episode of Earth Structure Directive, you most likely could find Bots, Bugs, and Babes, which is my main podcast. That um, often I'm on there with our dad. Uh, you know, he's the most common person I uh, collaborate with. But Luke has joined me along with authors like John Lemay and uh, other fellow podcasters like Jonathan Inbody and stuff like that, um, where we talk about everything B movies, uh, and we are covering a wide gamut of different kind of things, and we. Um, you know, we have specials for, you know, Thanksgiving and Halloween and Christmas and New Year's and all that stuff like that. And it's, uh, again, it's an all ages show, just like this show, family friendly, no bad language. Uh, and, um, you know, even though some of the movies we do cover might be not necessarily family friendly, we do, we do keep everything, you know, in check so everyone can enjoy the movies that we are talking about. The other place you can hear Luke and I together, you can hear Luke and I together on uh, Get Back to the Wrestling, where we're joined by the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, uh, where we just discuss wrestling. That is not all ages friendly, uh, as we do use a lot of colorful language. Um, And the the last place you can find my brother, uh, myself, uh, OG Chris Honeywell, and of course the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, is the startling vault of monster horror tales of terror, which is 100% not family friendly. Uh, It is... We definitely use a lot of adult language there as well, um, where we talk about horror movies. Uh, and obviously, folks, uh, you if you are interested in any of those things, please check out uh, the Two True Freaks uh, website. Check out us on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. I'm at just at Jason Giaconetti, uh, and the same thing with Instagram. Um, and if you're interested in that stuff, you know, I'd love for you guys to check out an episode or two. Maybe you you know you're interested in uh, you're like oh I like I kaiju. Oh, go check out. Dad and I talk about King Kong for like literally the most exhaustive podcast I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, we covered everything. 
Like yeah. there's not a hair on that body we didn't cover. So I, I have I have pimped that podcast from anywhere I can find it. If King Kong is mentioned, it's like, oh, you like King Kong? Let me tell you about this podcast, Bot Bugs and Babes. You know, <laughs> as, so, as much as much as my brother is a huge Godzilla or and just kaiju in general, that kaiju uh, guy. There's a reason for that, and it's yeah. because my dad is the biggest King Kong fan maybe ever. Yeah. Uh, and that helped form a lot of this, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I want to thank Luke for having me on. I always love coming on, talking about Godzilla movies. It gave me an excuse to pop on Godzilla versus Hedra, which I don't think I would have put on just on my own. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think it's like, mm-hmm. oh, let me just throw this on, you know, just for whatever kind of thing is. It's not just a fun movie to have on in the background. It's not. And you know what, though? It's some Godzilla movies, like, uh, you know, like if I'm working on a model and I'm like, I have on like, you know, Rodan or I have on, um, uh, like Godzilla versus the thing and stuff like, yeah. you know, something I've seen a number of times. I can kind of have it on the background and kind of be modeling and kind of look over and whatever. This is not one of those movies. No. Um, you kind of had to pay attention because there's a lot to be said. And it's, uh, and it's not a movie that I've seen dozens and dozens of times. So, you know, it's just one of the things, but it, I enjoyed the experience of being able to sit down and watch it. I love being able to put the new Blu-rays on and seeing the new restoration and being able to see how good everything looked. Um, I appreciate all the hard work that was put into that set. And hopefully if you're interested in that folks, I'd grab one. Um, the price is right. It still stayed kind of low. It's, and it never jumped back up. Originally it was like 100, 180 bucks or something like that. Originally now it's still, as Luke said, and I'm much, you know, it's like 70 bucks cheaper than that. So, yeah. Yep. So uh, again, thank you very much, uh, Jay, for being on. And uh, thank you everyone out there for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed our coverage of Godzilla versus uh, Hedra. And like I said, please write in with feedback. I really would appreciate it. Also like to take this opportunity to remind everyone out there that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you are interested in Japanese giant monsters or even Western giant monsters, if you swing that way, you are welcome on this show and you are free to interact with us in any way that, uh, that you would like to. Uh, again, thank you very much for listening. Jay, thank you again for being on. What's going to be next time? Well, I've, I've got an idea for that. And uh, I, let's see what you think of this. Jay, I'll go ahead and put it out there. This will force me to do it. It's been a while since I have done a video game on this show. And okay. so I was thinking, you know, I've, I've done like uh, the, the Nintendo Godzilla game and I did like some of the Game Boy games and, and all of that. It's like, you know, what's the big giant monster game that I haven't done? King of the Monsters from oh. SNK. And I just recently, a few months ago, got a Switch Lite. And on the Switch Lite, there is a bevy of SNK arcade games available in the eShop, and King of the Monsters is one. So we are going to be taking a look at the classic arcade giant monster wrestling game, King of the Monsters, next time. So break out, you know, your your signs for Gion and Wu and Astro Guy and Rocky and Beatlemania and Poison Ghost, and and be ready to go because we're we're going to be uh, we're going to be fighting across Japan and bouncing guys off of electrified ropes and throwing uh, trains at people. It's going to be it's going to be some arcade fun, I think, next time on the show. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's a class. That's a, that's a great game. I, I mean, you said a game, and I was like, Fire Pro? But <laughs> this that is the Fire Pro of the Kiaiju yeah. set. <laughs> yes, the only, the, only, uh, mon- the only monster games I know where you actually do have to pin your opponent to the ground for three seconds. So, uh, so, so if, you, if that sounds fun to you, and, and listening to me try and... Uh, I love that game so much. But, 
Well, I'm excited because, you know, we have the Genesis uh, adaptation, but mm-hmm. this is the first time I'll be able to actually have the arcade one because it's the arcade one that is on the eShop. So it has the two monsters that were cut out of the Godzilla, uh, the, the Genesis version. So so it has all six of the monsters, obviously. But uh, anyway, that that is for next time. Thank you again for listening to Destruction Directive. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please come back next time for... Uh, King of the Monsters. For my brother Jay, this is Luke Jackanay saying thank you for listening. Keep them stopping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Jackanetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on, and it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.